This is the Joy of Geek. Welcome to the Joy of Geek podcast. My name is Rich Lapore, and I am here with... Jordan Alseka. Kevin Chaver. And today we are going to be talking about a, uh, an interesting topic for our main subject, and that is comic book adaptations into other media, but we're going to do it with a twist. So instead of talking about the typical superhero comics that we often talk about in the MCU and DCEU and all of those types of adaptations, we're going to go indie, or at least non-mainline superhero. So um, it's going to be books by IDW and Image and... Boom Dark Studios, Horse. Dark Horse, you got it, um, and uh, and just some of the different at Vertigo even, right? It's it's DC imprint, yeah. but it's its own thing, and it's certainly not mainline superheroes generally. So we're going to be talking about adaptations from those comics um, into movies, sure, but also TV shows, video games, and really any other um, media if you want to get extra creative. Um, we're also going to talk about some of the things you expect from a normal episode of this podcast, uh, although this podcast has become anything but normal lately, but that's okay. COVID, strange, strange times, right? Um, we are going to discuss um, the very sad news that happened recently. We'll get to that first. Um, then we will talk about um, some of uh, DC Fandom, and then finally move into our, our main subject. Um, I'd say, though, that um, it, it bears starting out the episode with the very, very surprising, sudden, and sad news um, that Black Panther um, King T'Challa himself, Chadwick Boseman, um, died what felt like suddenly. I'm sure it may not have been as sudden for his, his close friends and family, but for all of us it was a huge shock and, and very sudden and, and tragic. Um, I, I just really was thrown for a loop by that. How about you guys? Oh, yeah, I would say this is like the most shocking celebrity death since, I'd say since Robin Williams, just as far as that, like, just totally took me by surprise and I couldn't believe it at first. But, yeah, I mean, what a remarkable actor. I mean, I know it, there's nothing really we could say that, can really encapsulate what everyone else has already and especially the people that worked with them but it's just like it's crazy when you see someone like that deliver such an iconic performance not just in black panther but other movies as well and really you know, have a this catapult his career in the last few years and also just you know he's recognized as such a really uplifting human being and transformational uh, yeah, figure absolutely just this cultural impact and everything else so yeah it was very i mean uh, it was really shocking to hear that on Friday night. We're recording Sunday afternoon, so two days after we got the news. But, uh, yeah, it was just one of those that really shook the world. And I don't know, Rich, if you saw this, but the tweet that went out from Chadwick Boseman's account after his passing, I guess his family posted, it became the most liked tweet in Twitter's history. So that's, like, um, which isn't too surprising. But, like, yeah, I mean, it was just a, I mean, it went viral on social media and um, just a, outpouring from fans everywhere and so yeah it's really unfortunate but you know what a life he lived it's hard to imagine not liking loving and respecting this guy quite frankly yeah. it's it's it yeah. really is jordan your thoughts man um yeah i mean it was very out of nowhere obviously for for the reasons of him uh keeping it private and and going on uh, having this battle and i i'm there have been honestly and i think it's because we're i'm younger um, Kevin and I, where there haven't been a lot of celebrities who I've been super familiar with 
that have died, and even when it when it has been the case um, that there has been, uh, it, it hasn't been actors I'm like super invested in. Which isn't to say the deaths aren't tragic, but it hasn't hit me. Uh, this one, this one hit really hard. It was like a you know the splash of cold water, proverbially. Um, not just by virtue of him being an immensely talented actor. Um, I, I like a lot of people. Like I rewatched um, Civil War and Black Panther over the past couple of days, um, and he he was just phenomenally good in those roles or in that role in those movies of doing so much with so little in Civil War and then also anchoring a movie and playing a character that was so different from most of the Marvel protagonists up to that point, who was Regal and, um, you know, wasn't the flashiest character in the movies, but could honestly be the emotional anchor very easily. Uh, a lot of that's due to the strength of the performance. But beyond that, and it, it's something, you know, we're, we're three white dudes, so it's, it's a, on a level that we can't fully appreciate. Um, it's just he meant everything to people for to to black people for the for what he achieved in terms of representation in terms of giving you know a black superhero his due on the big screen of it like and beyond that in real life he seemed like the sort of person who embodied it who embraced it who knew how important every role he played is, played was from Thurgood Marshall to Jackie Robinson um and again, yeah, even just in the smallest roles he play, like he has a relatively small po- uh, part in *The Five Bloods* by Spike Lee, but again, he just puts so much energy and effort. And uh, again, that would have been towards uh, the end that he would have shot that. And um, it, it, he didn't have to do that. Um, he certainly shouldn't have needed to to put that much work in. It seems like he really enjoyed what he was doing, but he also saw the importance of of the work he was doing, and it just. Uh, it, it feels like a, a significant loss, um, more than a lot of. Uh, I mean, yeah, there's a reason that that just that my Twitter was unified in, in just the remembrance, and I think the internet was, um, and it, it's just yeah, it was it was shocking. So to me, the thing that I'm gonna I take from it that I think is maybe the biggest testament to somebody that of course I don't know at all as as a person, only what the public face that was presented to me, um, which was incredibly positive and uplifting. But the part that I find the most relatable and and unbelievable um, is the strength that he had to to handle this in silence and. Um, and and go through that battle while also doing four years of like some of his best most iconic roles. It would have been so easy to feel sorry for yourself or I, you know, just succumb to what is just a, a, an incredible crushing thing to find out is happening to you, um, and to have the strength to persevere through that just on a human level uh, is the thing that I'm just the most blown away, shocked, and impressed by. Is that he made so much out of his out of his last years. I want to to highlight that point. I want to make this read this quick tweet that I saw. So um, there was a, 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 a writer. His name is Matt Jacobs, uh, who interviewed Chadwick Boseman in 2017, um, and had no idea right that this was going on at that point. And he asked him about the physical demands of making a Marvel movie. He said, "You came off one black. This is the interviewer. You came off one Black Panther project, did Marshall, and then made another movie, another Black Panther movie. Did you bulk up, slim down, and then bulk up again?" Chadwick uh, nods his head, looking exhausted, and says, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the interviewer says, you've been through the ringer. 
And then Chadwick says, oh, you don't even know, laughs, and says, you have no idea. One day I'll live to tell the story. Holy shit. Um, so he's just dealing with that in every interview, at every moment, at every day at the gym with personal trainers, um, to a large extent keeping that secret that the, 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 the mental strength and fortitude that takes is, is just so impressive. So for that, for that, among everything else, I'm, I'm just really impressed with this dude. The, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I agree on, on, yeah, generally. Um, and it's important to note, like, again, he didn't, it, it's, it's. I want to. I want to make sure we're. we're well, what's the? How, how do I want to phrase it? Like, yeah, it is. It is impressive that he did it. But it's also. It's like it's important. Like just the fact that he went through it at all. Like, like just just as a matter of of um, you know, he was working with his disability and a lot of it. One, it's the question of of should he have had to? And I think he understood. I, to me, it's it's a matter of realizing him realizing what it meant and being very self-sacrificial. Um, and it's on some level, it's kind of a shame he, he couldn't have, have focused on himself. Um, but you know, ideally the work he did will continue to inspire generations. The other thing too, about that, that you have to remember, I would say is that there are different things that are good for you in terms of taking care of yourself when you're going through something like that. So this may have given him strength right it oh may, yeah i'm sure he loved like like you clearly know, he loved acting and, and, and mental was that. very important to um, healing you know what i mean and obviously had he chosen not to had he chosen to like pull back that would have been entirely understandable as well so like sure. he um he made the choice that was right for him i'm i'm sure and i i think when you like again when you see the interviews when you see him visiting kids when you see him surprising fans um he clearly like loved what he got to do and loved what it meant to people uh, and I think that's a wonderful thing. How many and people? And I'll just add a little I'm sorry, thing. Ahead, like, no, I'll just, I'll just add like, I mean, as someone who has a disability and works with people who have all kinds of chronic illnesses, like I just tell you, I mean, everyone deals with it in different ways and in their own ways, and so that's why, like, I just have the utmost respect for him for you know how he chose to deal with it, and yeah, like you said, I think he just really loved his work and he wanted to do that no matter what, and that's what fueled him till the very end. So it's, but it's. Yeah, everyone deals with it differently, and that's it's a matter of just like respecting each person and how they go through it, you know. And the other thing yeah. to remember too is right. So like we all die eventually, and this is and this is cliche, um, but um, we do. We all we all eventually die. How many of us get to leave an imprint? Get to leave a mark? Get to leave a legacy like he did? Uh, so in that case, it's definitely a celebration in that, you know, in his 43 years, he did more than most people will do in multiple lifetimes. Um, and, and left a bigger impact than most people will in multiple lifetimes. So that's, you know, in his mind, I'm sure there was some peace and solace in that at the last moments of just knowing the impact he had. Well, I don't know, but before we go on to the next news, a little fun bit. So, of course, I've been watching a lot of, like, YouTube videos and, like, old interviews with them and whatnot. And yeah. I also, I had it, I'd never seen the James Brown movie he did, but I watched that yesterday. Uh, and that was quite good. I enjoyed it. Um, but... I watched a um, YouTube um, clip from Fallon earlier when he was on, I think, a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You probably won't be able to guess this, but just take a wild guess what Mar MCU role that Chadwick Boseman originally auditioned for. Um, if it's if it's really out there, I don't know, Malekith? Yeah, not, I mean, not too far, but, okay, it's not a villain. It's a hero, Fur but you're... Fury? Uh, nope. I'll say, 
He auditioned for Drax the Destroyer in Guardians. <laughs> oh, dang. Yeah, that was a real, like, it was, it was very interesting. Like, I knew, like, I knew other people that had auditioned for Star-Lord and stuff, but, yeah, he was just talking about, like, Zachary Levi auditioned for Star-Lord originally, and, um, but, yeah, he said that he just went in, and he didn't really know anything about the character, and it was only a few pages, but, um, so I don't even know if they had that much of a description for him on there, but he auditioned for that, and, I mean, that, you know, Guardians came out in 2014, so... The audition would have been in like I don't know 2012, 2013, whatever. And but then you know of course Marvel. That was when he was starting to like kind of make a name for himself. And Marvel saw that and was like, well, we've got another role for you. I think it'll do a lot better, but like, it'll be like a much better fit. So. <laughs> but that was I, that, I had never known that, so that was cool. Yeah, that is yeah, that's that interesting. Is a nice, yeah. nice little piece of trivia. How different thing everything could go if if right? decisions were made, like, right? Can you just imagine Chadwick as Drax, like, or, or just imagine him not. I mean, it's Black Panther. As not Black Panther. I know, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's the way things. It's always wild to look back on. Sure, um, sure. But yeah. So, well, rest in peace, Wakanda forever. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, Rich, can I jump into the next bit of news? Please do. There's quite a bit of a, like on a on a much different note. Another event that uh, really broke the internet last weekend um was the dc fandom online event and this was something that uh obviously since cons are getting canceled and you know there wasn't really a san diego i mean was there a san diego con this year or did they do like any because i never heard anything where there weren't like any big trailers from that there was so what they what they did was they they did like san diego they did comic-con live like on ign at yeah least, yeah um which was just like news being dropped and maybe some videos did you see that jordan at all um, not re- that, uh, a little bit. It wasn't a okay. huge deal. It was super whimpery. Yeah, and yeah. the thing, it really fell under the radar. Like, I knew it was going virtual, but this felt like, you know, the replacement for San Diego. And in many ways, even better, because A, it was free and accessible to everyone. You could watch it, you know, obviously online from uh, uh, from the comfort of your home. And, you know, <laughs> and you're not having to um, compete with thousands trying to get into Hall H and, um, but it really it felt like that kind of impact, like that kind of uh, San Diego blockbuster event. So there was a lot of news and trailers to come out of it. Um, I would say, well, I get so Jordan, you watched like all the trailers. Rich, what did you watch from it? So I've seen Wonder Woman eighty four at this point. Okay, I've seen oh um, the Snyder cut. Uh-huh. I've seen. Remind me what else was from that? The Batman. Oh hell yeah! I saw yes. the Batman. Yes. Yeah. Um, what else? The, oh, oh, the Suicide the video Squad game, game. Suicide Squad, like, yeah. Suicide the Squad trailer. And yeah, the I, didn't see, like, I didn't see the trailer. All I saw was that one where they had, like, cartoon images of the characters. I, I, I that know that's a trailer. Oh, oh, it okay. wasn't really, yeah, it wasn't a trailer. It was, like, behind-the-scenes footage. and kind of I didn't see the footage. Type. Yeah, yeah, yeah but you got footage. a lot of looks at costumes and whatnot. It, what's interesting, it's kind of surprising that the Suicide Squad didn't have a trailer because they completed filming back in February before all this happened. So they're in, like, editing and post-production stages, whereas the Batman has only shot 20% of the movie, and they delivered that full teaser. So Come on. 20%? Well, Are you sure? That's I that's, read that in the panel. Yeah, That's oh the cultural God. impact of Batman. Of course, Batman got the trailer. I mean, yeah, it's like you can't put on an event like that, have a Batman movie coming out and not release something. But I'm going to rewatch it with that in mind. I'm so glad you, you shared that tidbit, because with yeah. that in mind, I'm going to think, like, how did they craft this with you know to be to be so because it felt pretty like 
Like I was getting a, a yeah, pretty normal like trailer. It was pretty sure, normal. Sure. I agree. Yeah, but I'll have it to rewatch it. Out. Yeah, but um, but yeah. So DC Venom, I had a great time watching it. I like I I watched most of it on the day of, and then Rich and a few friends came over, so I missed a couple panels, and then went back and watched them uh, once they got put on YouTube and stuff. But I really enjoyed. It. There was a lot to unpack here. Um. I will say just overall thoughts, like, before I get into, like, thoughts on tra- individual trailers and that kind of thing, what I really liked about this is that, uh, and there was a whole panel dedicated to this, but what I like is that DC, the cinematic universe and the TV and everything, they're really embracing the multiverse now, meaning that, you know, like, I feel like they tried to kind of mimic the MCU at one point and didn't, it didn't work, and now they're realizing that, okay, we have the multiverse, we can just focus on telling, uh, you know, good stories in different movies and not have to worry about each one of them fitting into the same continuity. So, like, you know, the Snyderverse is kind of its own thing. Then the Batman takes place on its own universe. And um, I, I'm not really sure where the whole Black Adam and all that's going to fit it come into play. Uh, and and then the, the Flash? Movie, yeah. The Flash movie will have, like, Ben Affleck's Batman and Michael Keaton in there. So, like, it's very much going to play with the multiverse and time travel and all that. Flash so point, right. I was really excited by that notion. And uh, I think that's an exciting direction going forward um, because all of the trailers I, I quite enjoyed. Obviously there were more ones that I liked more than others, but um, all of them made like me really excited going forward as a DC fan. And um, I just loved how the whole fandom event was curated. It was um, really well designed. I liked all the panels um speaking of the batman i thought matt reeves gave an excellent panel it was really just an interview with him um but that guy like really needs to have a podcast i mean he just i like if you get a chance to go back and watch that oh i will yes he was excellent i mean he talked about you know his vision for this version of the character plans going forward you know i mean just thoughts filmmaking and storytelling as a whole because that i mean the other panels were more like you know, tidbits with the cast and crew and whatnot. That one was really just Robert Pattinson gave an introduction, and then it was this one guy interviewing Matt, Matt Reeves. Reeves and- went, Matt Reeves went full auteur. Here's, yeah, here, here's, here's, here's what I might, just my broad comments. Sure, go ahead. Are about the, the thing that I'm the most intrigued by, and I don't know if it's like driving by, oh, I'm not a, I'm not a rubbernecker anyway, but what some people would call like driving by a fire and like you can't help but look, or if I'm like, actually looking forward to the Snyder Cut. I'm not sure if it's yeah. like what, what my curiosity is, is is based on. But I will say that the saga has unfolded in a really interesting way. And you can go back to Justice Con, which was the biggest, weirdest, fucking weird thing. Uh, I looked up those girls who did the interviews, and and there was just... Or, or, or the people, I should say. I don't know um, all the details. But the people who did the interviews, there was just like a very small podcast. But like a, a part of the of the uh, universe that was like, or I guess the DC fandom that was super big on, on, uh, on the, the justice league and actually Snyder's vision. And so they just got to host the whole justice con. And so Snyder came out and I watched his interview there. And when they showed, and I swear to God, I don't know if you watched this, but they showed like five times. They showed that clip of, of uh, black suit Superman. Did you guys see that? Are you talking that like I watched the panel like from fandom where like where like he not fandom not fandom Justice Con did you see that Jordan? No, I paid. I honestly have paid very. I mean, I knew the Snyder fandom was a thing, and I just 
I, I, <laughs> it's a thing, I man. Care. But that's but that's exactly my point, right? Is that the Snyder fandom, like it's it's gotten ignited, and so I, when I saw these these people interviewing Snyder, they're just like, oh my, like he's like, well, I guess they thought my film was too dark, and these people are just like, oh my god, I know how stupid of them, and like it was just like super sycophantic, and and again, I don't know the backstory, I don't know their motivations there, I just caught some of it, and that was the feeling I got, but. Like, it was very surreal to see people, like, loving Snyder and his vision. And it made me think for a second, like, just for a second, I was like, maybe, what if everybody is wrong, right? Go, follow, go with me for a sec on this, guys. So yeah, what, no, what, what if um, everybody loved the MCU, wasn't in the mood for darkness at that moment? Um, granted, there's dumb parts about those movies anyway. But, like, just what if just it hit wrong tonally, but, like, there was merit to the Snyderverse? Is that even a possibility on some planet, or is that just, like, completely impossible? No, I, oh, no, I think, I, think... I was actually, I watched a video on it, because it is fascinating looking at this whole trajectory trajectory of how this came about, because, you know, I mean, whether or not the Snyder got it will be good or not, I mean, I'm definitely curious, I'm definitely going to watch it, but it is, you know, it's really interesting to see the passion of the fandom, you know, come and, you know, make this possible. But I was watching this video where it talked about that specifically, and it looked at, like, you know, um, so, like, Man of Steel came out to, like, mixed reviews. Some people really liked it. I was disappointed by it, and I came in really excited for it. Sure. Then, you know, um, but I was, but for that reason, like, I mean, I, I thought it was just, like, a little too grim, and it didn't really, you know, capture the vision of Superman that I had. It went in a different direction. And then BBS was, you know, like, I mean, at the time, it was super hated, I know, course we ragged on it it's like huge right right right. we were part of the episode and then like um the video was talking about how you know it was bashed at the time but then when the whole snyder director's cut came out of bbs people responded to to that much more and they were like um oh maybe you know like we hated the theatrical version but this has more merit and then you know all the stuff with justice league happened and you know he had the tragedy in his family had to step down obviously joss came in and then we got that theatrical version and really no one liked it. I mean, I thought like, um, like, I mean, I, you know, my thoughts on it were like, it was sort of a bad fun movie for me. Like, no one really thought it was good, but, and so then that whole idea came back to like, well, we didn't like BBS, but we really enjoyed the right. Snyder cut. Right. Maybe now it's, you know, we were raw and we need to see like clearly, because clearly the theatrical justice league version was not his vision for the movie. Cause it was heavily reworked when Josh came on and all that. And so that led to this. And so it is a really fascinating trajectory. What, you know, again, whether this movie will be good or not, it's what, pretty crazy. What to were see you gonna, there. Yeah, what were you going to say, Jordan, uh, your thoughts on that? Um, I, I, I had general, and, and this would go into some general fandom thoughts too. So, so yeah. I'll, I'll save those for as we talk, if we talk a little more in depth into them, but uh, as far as the Snyder cut, I, I do think on some level there is obviously there's always a desire for something more because even people who aren't fans of Zack Snyder and what he's done, there are a lot of people who are, if they're not fans of Zack Snyder, they're, they're a little, they're anti MCU in the idea that it is very homogenized and very samey movie to movie. Um, if not in like, themes and you know genre presentations in terms of like the humor in terms of the general lightness um and even if you like that it's not unreasonable to want variety and to want something different every once in a while and you know after 22 films 
it's they they dominated the 2010s, and I think uh-huh. for obviously a number of reasons uh, outside of any film studios control thing, they, it's going to be a very open field if and when you know theatrical experiences return to normal. So there probably is a hunger for something different. There's going to be. I mean, it's it, if you look at it generally, there's the room for a generational rejection. The next generation of kids and comics fans. You might see the MCU as old school and something for the adults, and they're going to want something new. Whether or not that's, you know, obviously it won't be Snyder because I, I think he's fairly like it's. Th- this is a swan song. It's not a you know start of something new. I don't think we don't know. Right. Content. We'll 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 see. Um, um, I, I could see both of I could see the Snyder verse continuing on if it's a huge smash hit, which I don't expect. I, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Uh, there, there are some. There are wild log- logistical problems there when you look at the movies they've already released since then. Um, th- th- then again, I don't know. They, they're doing weird things. Maybe they yeah. would just say "f it." Let's have two vastly different timelines of the same characters. I doubt it, but you know. Well, what uh, I- and, and not even same characters. Same characters played by same actors would more be the way. Well, I would here's think the other it, thing. But- don't forget, right? So they're doing this in this weird. And we, there's another thing to discuss: the four-hour television episode model. Right. Um, and so, what's interesting there is, you know, what if it's a smash for HBO Max? And I'm sure it will get tremendous viewership if, if just morbid curiosity or genuine fandom or both. Um, and I, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I'll, I'll say my thought. I, I was just going to say that it, if it if it blows up huge and it is like oh my god this is awesome maybe we we misjudged this dude i don't think that's probably going to happen but maybe let's say it happens then couldn't there be some continuations of single characters in tv episode form on hbo max well good i, I just think it's a matter of the the characters have continued like aquaman's movie can we rewatch or we watched aquaman just this week yeah. and like it specifically references the events of justice league as presented on film um, yeah. And I mean, there's room for Wiggle if he really wanted to. But I mean, Aquaman 2 is not going to care what the Snyder Cut does. Wonder Woman 84, and granted that's a prequel, but like whatever Wonder Woman 3 ends up being, probably won't care about the Snyder Cut. I mean, they probably won't care about Justice League. That's the whole point of how DC is moving forward. Their movies don't have to care about or be in conversation with one another. Right. Um, what if which they I, did I that? Is, what if they I mean, did I think that? that? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, I mean, I would just say that's what they tried to do with the Snyder stuff in the first place, that it failed for them immensely. Yeah. Um, I think if you're... The, th- the thing is, um, if you're going to have a singular vision of... Uh, and I don't know that I would call Kevin Feige an auteur, but you need that guy. You need someone who can keep create not just something that's unified but something that's universally liked enough that it makes money. And Zack Snyder is not capable of that. He has, he has proven time and again that he is not capable of, of crafting that because, because of his interests yeah. are niche enough. I'm not even saying... Oh, that's a really interesting point you make. Because th- if, even if you think back at his big successes, like 300 is not like MCU kind of universal. No, and, and I mean, that's the thing. He has a very... I'm not saying it's a bad vision. I don't like it. But he has a very, like, grimdark, um, unpleasant worldview that he likes his characters big and mythic and a little bit removed from humanity. Um, and not, that's, like, typically not what people are looking for as a general audience. I'm not saying it doesn't have value. 
I'm not saying you can't write for a niche audience, but from the perspective of a giant corporation whose whole job is to make money and not actually care about the contents of their stories as long as people like it, like the movies don't have to be good if they make money consistently. And that was the problem with his movies. They had historic drop-off week after week. Right. Um, they had uh, complaints. They had all kinds of issues. And, and, you know, that bled through to the other movies he influenced, like Suicide Squad. Even the first Wonder Woman has that kind of darker influence in the way that it ends and, and you know, the way what it has to build towards. And yeah. I, I think generally... Again, you have those super fans, or you have people that do like what he did, but generally, I think it can be argued when you look at movies like Shazam and Aquaman and Birds of Prey that all go and do their own thing, not even MCU aping things. I think Birds of Prey and Shazam are funny in ways that would still be kind of out of place for an MCU movie. Those are, are the sort of things that they're, they're, they're allowing the movies to just kind of go towards different audiences, and you can't do that if you have that singular vision. Interesting. Interesting. I just think that it's it's a it's a really interesting thing to see even to get a glimpse into Snyder fans and that they exist, you know, because there's just been the mainstream of, of comic fandom has been so anti Snyder. You know, you go to any of the big sites and they're just you know, they're not very positive on him. Just look at the critical consensus on the last couple movies. And you know, it's just fascinating to look at people that love his vision. And I'll tell you one thing, and I think that you you touched on it a couple times in that statement you just, in your last couple paragraphs was that he really does have a vision. It it you know you can't deny that the dude knows what he wants on the screen. And when you hear him talking in his interviews about this this new version like in the way he's just like and yeah he gets a little petty when he's like there won't be one frame that josh whedon shot josh whedon shot in my movie i would rather take it and burn it this is something he said at justice con i'd rather take it and burn it than have one frame of my edit be something josh whedon shot right um and i think that kinda... comes, yeah i think that comes down <laughs> to like tone and it comes down to, like, the color scheme. Like, he doesn't even like the color correction on Justice League. Like, he's that intense about it. What are we going to say? How can that movie be darker? God help. I hope not. Well, and I'll say, that's the other thing about fandom was, like, it was, that was the only weird thing about watching it. What it was that it felt get disconnected from all the behind-the-scenes drama. So, like, with Justice League, all the stuff with Josh being, you know, being accused of, um, yeah. you know, workplace malpractice and abuse. Right. It's, all of that. It's, and then, and well, not just that, but then also like the editorial bloodbath that happened at DC two weeks prior to the event. So it was like, it was an overwhelmingly positive atmosphere at Fandom, but it was, it's like as a fan who reads all the stuff and uh, knowing all the behind the scenes drama. Um, well, it, it could be. It could be an it, overwhelmingly positive environment or atmosphere because there was no actual atmosphere. It was yeah, 100% yeah. Well, I mean, produced. Uh, Go ahead. And that's the that, and Kevin brought up another point I wanted to get to. And the one thing I'll say, um, it is it's kind of like AVP, Alien versus Predator, when it comes to the Whedon versus Snyder <laughs> debate, because it's like whoever wins, we lose. They both kind of suck, really. You get down to it. So it's like, I mean, who? But yeah, that that's the thing I tweeted. Zack Snyder, love him or hate him, and when it comes to his work, I typically hate it. It is purposeful. It's not like he's messing up what he wants to do or he's doing anything half-assed. He whole-ass makes those terrible movies. He is but all people, in. People like them, and they are purposeful. Like, there is a vision there. I just find it 
very repellent. Um, and, you know, there's a lot else we could get into. There is an argument of, of toxic, toxicity in fandom and just how, like, doggedly, like, chase down any person who would say anything bad and, about the Snyderverse or, or, like, chasing down DC. And, I mean, I'm not saying fans can't petition for the things they want. And I think DC saw that there was arguably an audience there that would get enough people to subscribe to HBO Max to watch it that it was worth... You know, million funding or whatever, yeah. The completion. Um, I'm interested. I mean, the one other thing I'm interested in by it is is doing it as episodes because I mean, arguably, you can stop a forty you you can stop a four hour movie just as easily as you can stop an episode of a television if you're not enjoying it. But considering the way that a lot of um, streaming services use their metrics, it's not so much a matter of finishing; it's a matter of starting. So it's interesting to me that they'll put it out in a format where you can very easily, like, I imagine, as opposed to the movie version, there's now going to be metrics where it's like, oh, here was the drop-off from people who started episode one to people who actually bothered going to episode two. And it's interesting that they would set themselves up for that. But, well, I mean, well, I, you well, know, well, the wait, of a four-hour movie is a big commitment, so but I But doesn't, ne- doesn't Netflix do, like, when they show those lists of top tens, isn't that based off the first, like, staying on it for one minute? Or two minutes? Haven't I read that a million times? Like, you know those top ten lists of the most popular Netflix originals? Yeah, exactly. That, that's what so I'm saying. What, I mean, but why, does be... that, why is that any, any... Why is doing four episodes and finding out if they went to the second episode any different than finding out if they went past the first two minutes of a movie? I don't know. It's not a big, big difference. I'm not saying it's, like, huge. Like, the thing's going to get made. I don't... And again, I don't see a future for it. I think it's going to get made, and that'll be it. And maybe there'll be, like, a ungodly blu-ray documentary or probably an hbo max documentary where he fan wanks over himself for two hours i don't know uh i don't know i see twitter's like that twitter posts like that where he's just so so and maybe there's a a oh he's just like that he is just like that he he's like when he was if you saw this justice con uh stuff where he's talking through the color correction and getting that black just right on superman's outfit and and he's just like, oh, don't you love that black? And these interviewers are just like, oh, yeah, look, it's all smoky and shadowy. And he's just like, yeah, right, you see that? He goes, we really had to tweak it to get it just right. Like, that's the way he talks. I hate it. Um, <laughs> the best Justice League looks to me is on the cover, where they actually look colorful and like superheroes. And I'm, again, I'm not – actually, no. You know what? I hate the realistic gray filter. I hate every time it shows up in anything. I hate when it shows up in a video game from 2010, and I have to look at those dull, gray, colorless life forms, and that's what his movies feel like. Yeah, wow. Um, but again, it is there, there's something for everyone, and I, I don't begrudge anyone who likes it. I, again, I think every movie he's made has been a failure on some level. Um, Dude, except Sucker Punch. That one is a, a triumph. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <sighs> well, like, yeah. I did have to laugh so much that um, the song he chose for the trailer was the Leonard Cohen version of Hallelujah that plays during that prolonged sex scene in Watchmen, uh, and so like, so like that was just talking about fan wank. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. Oh yeah, so absolutely. Oh, I, oh, it was a very conscious decision. I just had to, but that was pretty funny. I uh, think, um, and, and I, I really just think that it's a matter of he's that holier than thou about his work. And so he just yeah. he likes that song and the impact and the majesty that he thinks it bestows upon whatever yeah. it's playing over less so than I think it references Watchmen. But I, I get your point either way. Sure, sure, sure. It was, uh, um, when you put Hallelujah on something, it just you know as long oh, as it's not laughable, it becomes yeah. sure. it becomes like 
we got to sit up and take this seriously. Right, you know? right, right. Like, this is epic and emotional. Sit down and prepare yourself. Yeah. You got it. You got yeah. it. Yeah. We've, we've, anyway, we've probably been, I don't know. I don't know that he doesn't deserve it as far as his, his public persona and the way he, I think on a, on a level when he's alone and he's thinking about story, he probably is like any of us and is mm-hmm. very excited about what he comes up with. Yep. I think the general spots, I think it's made him defensive. I would argue you got to, I think maybe he's a little too thin skinned, um, but he also gets a lot of hate. I don't I'm mean to add on to that. I'm liking this perspective, man. This is, this is really good. Keep going, man. <laughs> I don't know. I just want to be I like fair. To, I love like, it. I, like I think he's encouraged you know the fan behavior a little more than he should have because i think he probably just at the end of the day wanted the chance to make his movie um well hope that that's step one step one is he gets he's back you know he's recovered from the family trauma that's horrendous i can't even imagine moving past that it's been a couple years he's getting more to normalcy a little bit um and he's getting his movie made but this if this if this enables him and empowers him um next step the galaxy next step stratosphere man it's gonna be like you know yeah they'll be making his version of avatar two three four and five you know i'm just i'm exaggerating but it could and there's there's probably a level to which he's playing into that persona just because that's what his fans want so it's like he might as well interesting but he's being the the you know megalomaniac almost a little bit intentionally or tongue-in-cheek but 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 yeah just by intention yeah, I mean, I don't think that doesn't make it douchey. I just think <laughs> there, there's like, cause there, I've I've seen interviews with him where there are like elements of filmmaking where he's not unknowledgeable. Like that's the thing. It's not that oh, he yeah. doesn't have talent. Oh, he knows it's what how he's he doing. Aims that talent. Oh, he knows what he's doing, and that's what I found. And I think that really hits it on the head. That's what I found so interesting about watching these huge super fans for a full weekend talking about fawning over that uh, movie in this one two second clip was just the fact that, like, for a certain subset, it is as good as he thinks it is. Maybe better. Um, um, and, and it is exactly what they wanted. Um, I'm just really... It's interesting to get a glimpse into that, because I didn't know people existed that, that liked it to that level. And I think if you guys remember, like, my take on all those on all those movies was... What did I say? I think I, en- I enjoyed watching uh, Batman beat Superman's ass. I think that was one of my comments. <laughs> I, don't um, I don't know. No. I forget. But Go yeah, ahead, if- man. No, I was just gonna say maybe we've been a little harsh. If it if you're yeah. a fan of Snyder, you know, just we'll we'll just imagine after we sign off, we're all gonna have a big glass of Granny's peach tea. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, hey, I definitely don't... regret being too harsh, like on it. Like it's like it's like I you know I like I think we were it was we were caught up in that moment no, of like everyone no. was hating on that movie, but like I was too like too harsh and. Yeah, no, if you like it, there's work, that's great. And no, here, I, I, can, I like some of I mean, it. Don't forget he, where this conversation started from. This conversation started from me saying, like, let's just hypothetically look at it and say, could we have been wrong? Right, is right. this is this brilliant? And that's where we and that's where we started. So I don't think this has been as hateful as as as, as it could be, you know? I I'm talking more about like I was way too harsh when we did BBS. Ah, yeah. So, I, but, I stand by I don't even remember what I said. I stand by. I hate that movie. But, I, mean, you know. like I, I still strongly dislike it, but I was like too hard. But if you and it's like it, it became so divisive and polarizing that like it was just like okay, like to, like almost like on a last Jedi level, like and it's just that kind of like we were, you were talking about like the toxicity and fandom. It's like okay, let's just learn to like like and dislike stuff and you know get along fine. I, oh, yeah, I remember I, not hating I, the bathtub scene as much as you guys did. I'm starting it's starting to come I, back to me a little bit. Yeah, we're, we're gonna re. <laughs> Relitigate, Relitigate. Yep. BBS, yep. Yep. but uh, yep. 
I remember my takeaway was that I like Fantastic Four more than it, and I stand oh, by that. Oh, shit. Uh, I'm not even half. a Josh Trank stand. There's another problematic director, arguably, but I, I remember that was my position. I keep meaning to rewatch that movie because it's on Disney Plus. Yeah, I think book. you need to watch that it. I think you also... need to watch Capone, motherfucker. Oh, I need to see that too. I haven't checked it out yet. Or, but, or what uh, was it going to be called? Like Shorty or something? What was the what was his nickname? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, both Fantastic Four movies are on there. Like the the Trank one and then the 2005. Oh, I one. love the 2000s yeah. one. That movie's fun. It's and that, fun. And, it, it's and it's like, our buddy uh, from Forever, uh, Jordan, who's in that. Force. Um, Yon Grufford. Uh, yeah. yeah. Looking at other stuff. Yeah. Um, again, yeah, that was the the general tone though was like letting creators do what they want, which Smart. is arguably a thing. Um, however, you feel about it, that the MCU doesn't do as much. That's not to say directors don't get to make the movies they want to make or that they don't have unique feelings. I think you know, Guardians of the Galaxy feel like James Gunn it. movies. It proves it. But it proves it for sure. It definitely stepped out from the MCU like super homogenous formula. I think I've argued but, previously on this on this very podcast a lot about the fact that they're very similar um you know in in the fact that like the jokes per minute and the different things like that but there definitely are like defined differences between the different ones which i think you said earlier this episode sure but i also think when we see the suicide squad it's gonna be a movie that hews a little closer to his you know darker angrier weird films that he made when he was younger i'm not mm-hmm. i don't think it'll go full that level i don't think we're gonna get big budget super but um, I think with a I cast think, that big, a lot of them are going to die. That's yeah, <laughs> I think it is going to be a very bloody movie. I think it's going to be a little edgier than the Guardians movies. And I think they're going to just let him make that movie because they can get away with it. I mean, they've put out R-rated movies that have done uh, well now. They've done out their premises. And, you know, they can have very thematically different movies. So when, I, when you look at that, when you look at what um, Patty Jenkins is doing with Wonder Woman 2, when you look at what um i mean matt i think at the end of the day they're always batman's always going to be batman but it does seem like he's finally getting a mystery movie which is exciting like it feels like a detective feel and like uh and that was the original vision for back when ben affleck was directing it too and it was totally different movie but it was still going for that more detective noir vibe whereas like not just about the mythology the mythology but doing a hardcore detective story so it definitely has that feel, and I'm very excited for Paul Dano's Riddler. That's gonna be really all yeah. the cast. But no, yeah. I'm very excited. It looks like a Riddler film. I saw a yeah. lot of people complaining that it was like, well, why didn't why why are you okay with this being a dark, violent Batman movie, but but it wasn't okay when Zack Snyder did it? And I'm like, well, I trust Matt Reeves to make a good movie. He made War for the Planet of the Apes, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, it's really it's like a it's really Matt. miserable, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but it's like a successful rumination on violence, and like it goes interesting places, and it's like it it feels like the sort of movie where he'll have something to say with Batman that yeah. I want to hear. I mean, again, Zack Snyder had something to say; it just, I just didn't want to hear it. Sure, so. sure. But um, by the way, Rich, you still need to see the like. I know you hate War for the Planet of the Apes, but you need to see the other two to really like I'm make sure. Of oh, it. you mean yeah. to really get like really, really, really get depressed when I watch Woody Harrelson like <laughs> fall into a an AP clump on the floor and be like, ah, kill me, please murder me. <laughs> Dawn is well. God, I always get the names backwards. It's Dawn, Dawn is really good. Rise, it's Rise, Dawn, Dawn, Dawn yeah. War. Yeah, are yeah. any of Dawn them like, like fun? 
Rise is the closest. Right, you didn't yeah, make that I one. like a more experience, but I enjoy. I mean, I think the, that's. I didn't one say of the enjoy. Best. I said fun. Like, is it? Are all? Well, you know I mean, what I mean? It's not really like it's a like. I mean, it's a heavy science fiction, like very apocalyptic. So I mean, it's not meant to be like lighthearted at all. But I was it. But yeah, the but Rise has more like closer to fun moments and that kind of thing. But it's. I mean, I think that's one of the best blockbuster trilogies of. Um, the, definitely the two thousands. That I mean, like, it's super yeah. good. I just, yeah. I just can't say that I enjoyed it. And by the way, I definitely can understand. You know, even from a very young age and watching Schindler's List, the, the how you can enjoy a movie that that is you know about horrific yeah. things and takes you to to very dark emotional places. Um, but so so I'm not against that concept, and I understand. Enjoy is the wrong word, but you know what I mean. Fine, yeah, I know satisfaction what I mean. yeah, yeah. from it, or whatever you want to call it. Um, so I definitely am there with you. And actually, when I was watching, I guess the fall or the war, um, I definitely the whole time I was pretty engaged, and I was like, "Wow, this is this is impressive." And man, is this like breaking my heart here? Yeah. Uh, and what it says about humanity and and people and all that stuff. We could go on and on. Um, and I'm sure, especially you two could. But you get my point. Like it, it's just sure. that's it. Just for me, it just didn't. I. I I don't want to. I don't feel any urge to celebrate those movies, although I know that they're very high quality. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. no, and I think I think Batman is going to probably be a little more fun. I think I, I think what's interesting, like, um, w- it was interesting watching the because I, I, I actually watched the trilogy of Apes movies recently, and we watched a lot of the behind the scenes features, and it's like Matt Reeves is very like he he gets really in the weeds with it, and he's very much like involved in every stage of the process, and it seems very purposeful to the type of story. He wants to tell, and I think with Batman, like he was a very big fan of the Planet of the Apes movies and had a very specific vision for what he wanted to do. I feel like the same. Obviously, if you've watched his panel or if you watch it, yeah. it's the same for Batman. And I think there's a level at which he really wants to capture the the mood of Batman that he really loves. I don't think this movie is going to be as dark as War for the Planet of the Apes. Maybe as dark as Dawn. Dawn's or Dawn, Dawn's not that. I don't think as dark. What what is where did he get his start? How did he get his break, Matt Reeves? Uh, Cloverfield was like his first feature. I think he did the first uh, yeah. one. He directed that, and then he also I didn't know until I was looking up his IMDb. He really hasn't directed like a ton. Um, sort of like Nolan. Very. Oh often. my god, he did oh. the pallbearer. I love that yeah, movie. That's right. he did that. I love that movie. And then he did the American adaptation of Let Me of. Let the right one in. It was called Let Me oh, In. Oh man, this dude's been yeah. building his career over years and years and years. I yeah. had no idea. Yeah, yeah. No, he's. I think he's one of those like directors that's like really strong auteur, but not talked about nearly as much as like Nolan Del Toro. But I think after this, he'll be put more are, in the spot. Are you hyping up? Are you guys hyped up for the um, that Away series? I just saw the preview for the first time on Netflix. That he's doing. He's executive producer. I, um, it's about seeing Mars starring Hilary Swank. I know nothing about that. Yeah, it's very under the radar. I don't know. It just popped up. Anyway, I digress. They pump stuff out. Oh, man. Um, I, the only other big things from DC fandom were obviously the new Arkham games, which we oh. talked about a little bit. Yeah, you got, uh, yeah. We got to talk about them for a second, right? Sure, sure. Yeah. So, so I am, I'm really wrestling with the fact that neither of them is the Batman Arkham Knight like sequel that I want, or even the Batman Arkham Origins sequel that I want. Um, I mean, they're different. They're very different. I mean, are they? I don't know. I to think me, so. Gotham, the, Gotham Knights just looks like the studio went. We want another Arkham game, and they gave it to the people that made Origins because 
their whole job was make another Arkham game. So you I think mean, that not... one is going to be the same combat, the exact same feel, with that bouncing around like you're a pinball combat? That I, I mean, love. yeah, the little bit of combat we saw was about them, like, jumping around and hitting people, and then, you know, it's like we have the bat cycle instead of the Batmobile. No, I like, can't have jumping. No like... jumping, man. No jumping. Was there jumping? Because I forget. No. It was no, just bouncing. Because, um, you know, they, no, they, I... they, they ping from each other in those games. There's not really jumping in them. I'm, I'm nitpicking, but my, my point is, okay, good. Well, that, that makes me more hopeful, and that's the one that's coming sooner, too, so that's good. And if that one yeah, really that's... is about Court of Owls, that's going to make me happy. Yeah, I think generally that is what looks like it's going to be. Like, if I were if I were wildly fan speculating, it looks like a game where they're like, we want to do something different. People really like... I think even if you look at Rocksteady, and they probably liked making those other characters with the different combat. To, and they do. I mean, the, the weird thing about those games is to see, like, their other, other characters, you have to play, like, the, the Predator missions and the combat challenges to get to play as, like, Nightwing and, I think, um, Red Hood and Harley Quinn and all these characters where they got to give them different move sets. And I, I think... This is just a game built around that. About instead of just playing as Batman the whole time, you play as four different right. characters Here's, with different my, with move sets. My um, concern is this, though. My concern is the thing that I love about those four Batman games, and I love all four of them a lot. And the thing I love about them, especially Asylum, I think we agree on that. The thing I love about them so much is the fact that they have those Riddler challenges and they're all very focused on Batman, right? The story itself is all focused on Batman. The villains that you encounter all have like mini arcs that are all focused on Batman. So now that you take it, so, and I wouldn't even have minded if it was a Nightwing game, right? Or if it was one character's main game and there was three other like characters that support you in that game. But I'm concerned there's not going to be a focus. I'm concerned it's moving more towards this whole, you know, not anywhere near what Marvel Avengers is. Um, but 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 more in that, like, let's let's get a bunch of people to play online and buddy up, as opposed to me exploring dark corridors and, like, finding cool right. Batman lore. And that bums me out. I, I think if it was going to be that game, it would be a four-player co-op game, but it's only a two-player okay. co-op. Okay. Um... And I think I think instead it's I think it's going to give you exactly what you want. I think they're, I mean again I don't think our Origins is the weakest, and I mean I'm sure they've leveled up as a, hopefully hopefully oh, they they've have. leveled up as a studio. Well, you know the but, John, or if if what you like is like all the characters having arcs, I think this will be a story. This I think there's the opportunity for this to be a complex like intercutting story between these four characters, and assumedly a story about the different ways we handle death and grief and loss because it has four very different characters who are going to have to handle that loss. Um, awesome. Hey man, I'm, you got. I'm glad we had this conversation because I'm feeling a lot more positive. One thing I will say yeah. that's interesting about this whole juxtaposition—that's probably the wrong word here—but this whole. Like, we got two announcements. First of all, I think that was a terrible idea to announce both these games at the same time, essentially. Second of all, and, and make them so, like, similar slash different and confuse even big fans like me. Um, but I would say that what's interesting is they actually are very tied together because, and I don't know all the dirt behind this, but apparently Jason Schreier, I get tired of saying his name because he's, you know, always breaking everything, but he is the, he, he basically said that Suicide Squad was being made by um, the other studio, Montreal. Um, and the they got to a certain point in the game and it just wasn't coming along. And so like then it got turned over to Rocksteady to make it into something really good. 
And I'm guessing at that point they were like, all right, now what's Montreal going to work on? Okay, let's make Gotham Knights about the Court of Owls and let them do what they're already good at. And maybe they just weren't leveled up as a studio at the point where they could really break new ground on something new. And now that I think about that story, it makes me even more confident that you might be right, that it is very much the core Arkham experience that we'll be getting from that game. But that's what's interesting. So then at that point, Rocksteady only a couple years ago took over Suicide Squad. That's why it's a couple years out yet, because they just started on it recently. And that's why, to my huge chagrin, when we were talking about video games all the time, I was constantly like, where the fuck is Rocksteady? Where's my next game announcement? Because it's been six, well, seven years. I think it's interesting. Uh, I, uh, hearing that, I think, solidifies my thought, because I think the reason these games look so similar is you had... This was my pre-hearing that news take, and then I'll, I'll update it with what you said. Sure. Because, like, my impression was, okay, you have a publisher that, like, knows the Arkham games sell. Even if people weren't hype on Night or Origins that much, the games still sell. And ultimately, like, people want to play as Batman. And I think, like in the movie theater, Batman sells. Um, you know, they, they were just like, we need a Gotham game. Uh, and maybe it came about afterwards, but I also think that inevitably they would have wanted to make another Arkham game. So it's like, however it, however it came out, I think they were like, all right, here's a studio that wants to make this. Rocksteady's done. I think Rocksteady wants to do something different. But then when you look at the fact that it's been five years and if they've only t- – like, what were the years after Arkham like where they were trying to come up with their new games? And there were all these rumors about a Superman game, yep, about I a remember. Justice League game. Yep. And maybe they were even working on those. And maybe what you ultimately had was a studio – who was so good at making one thing that they had a hard time branching out and figuring out something new. And so, yep. yeah, maybe they got this Suicide Squad game that was originally possibly a little closer to Arkham or maybe a little further away, and they were like, all right, well, here's what we know how to do, and maybe we can now make this an experimental ground where we can try new things. Um, because it is hard. I would think... I mean, like, Hugely if you look difficult. at other studios... like. If you look at a studio like Gearbox who can make Borderlands but can't make another game worth playing to save their lives, it might be, you know, there there's comfort and familiarity, and I think that's why we have two games that are relatively similar. Yeah, yeah. But hey, I'm all for it. Um, you know, I just, the thing I'm most worried about at post this conversation is is now the Suicide Squad game, but we'll learn a lot more about that. But, like, essentially, I think both of them are full open world. That's also a little bit... But then again, I think the other ones were, too, now that I think about it, weren't they? Like, Except um, for... I mean, even Asylum, you could explore everywhere when you can go and backtrack, so... That's true, that's true. So I guess that's not so different. I just hope it doesn't become the kind of open world that Ubisoft games are, because we've talked a million times about how sick to death of those I am. Um, yeah, I mean, I think City and Night had their own unique feel. Yeah. Um, yeah. from those. So I, they I did. think we'll get they to did. And, and, but we'll see. And a segmented vibe, right? The thing I think I love the most about Asylum is the idea that I go into this location and all of a sudden I'm in a location having an experience. And it's unique from the other experiences I can have. Yeah, there's similarities. Yeah, there's Riddler trophies in each place that are the same as in other places. But everything you do in that building feels like siloed and unique and special. And then you move to another building and have another experience. As opposed to these open world games where every building you go into is essentially doing the same tasks with a different coat of paint. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know. And maybe that's just semantics because I'm just – because I think they executed it better. It may be a lot about execution and tone. Um, but I don't know. I'm just – I'm hoping that when um, Gotham Knights comes out, it's awesome. Um and I hope it has a lot to do with Court of Owls. There's a lot to mine there. It's a fantastic Scott Snyder um, creation. Yeah. Cool, man. All right, games, games, uh, games over. 
Um, oh, what I, else? Have, I have one other bit of DC yeah. fandom I, yeah. that, I was, that I was really excited about. Like, to be on the trailers, there, you know, there's very little comic news, but there was a surprise panel. Um, this is about mid through right through the day that Mark Bernard hosted, and it was about Milestone Entertainment, which is the, um, I think it's entertainment, but it's the imprint that created characters like Static Shock and other black superheroes, and has been gone for a long time. And I actually just recently started watching um, the Static Shock animated series on DC Universe for because I had seen like episodes when I was a kid, but that was one I hadn't watched regularly. So I'm watching that, and I'm really getting into the character, and I really like. And so they're talking now about. Um, so they're bringing those comics back. Like, um, they're going to do Static Shock Digital first, and hopefully it'll come to print um, shortly after that. But they're doing other media, and they're talking about a Static Shock movie, which would be awesome, because, I mean, that would be a character that would, like, whether it would be, like, an animated one like Spider-Verse or a full live action, that would be a like, awesome character to do, because, um, you know, he, I mean, he's be- he's very Spider-Man-like, and, um, and just, I mean, I don't know, just a really fun character that and the comics are really hard to find, too, because there was, like, a run in the 90s, and then there was a very small miniseries uh, during New 52 that even, like, I was at the comic shop I earlier, it. and I could, yeah, and I couldn't even find old back issues there, so it's very hard to find, so I'm really excited about the prospect of that those characters coming back and getting to know ones beyond Static Shock, so that was really cool to see. Yeah, I love I have a deep love for Static. I was right yeah. in the age group for that show when it came sure. out, so I watched all four seasons of it. Sure. Um, wait, 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 wait. Gotta get those. There was gotta... a whole series of Static Shock. Yeah, yeah I was four talking seasons. about the animated series. Yeah. What? It was part oh, of the yeah, Justice. It was part of the Timverse because it, it he crossed yeah. over with Justice League and Batman Beyond. It was around. It was like the same time as Batman Beyond. They were very like those were like the two big characters at that time because it was it was just after the main Batman animated series had ended. So kind of in that in-between period between Batman animated series, Superman, and Justice League, so where you had Static Shock and Batman Beyond. But yeah, it I, was four seasons. I mean, Dwayne McDuffie, Dennis Cohen, all those guys were the key creators behind it. Phil Lamar. I still... Boy, yeah. I still, when we when the Flash started, I was like, oh, they're boom babies. <laughs> Whenever they would chase down a new MetaHumans. It's like, I still, I still think of MetaHumans as boom babies. That really is. That's so true. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, to, to put it super simply, Wonder Woman trailer looks awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's another trailer. I, I think... Now, I know. CGI obviously gets, you know, rushed for trailers. But I was also like, man, it's kind of a bummer that the video games look better than Darkseid or Cheetah. But I know they will <laughs> look was, better. I don't know. Cheetah probably should there, but... look better. I was excited to finally see Cheetah there because like, I was too. Yeah, so I mean, Cheetah definitely looked better than Darkseid, but I was like, true. I was a like, maybe it'll look better when I get to see more of her because I was like, this is a movie that was supposed to be out two months ago. So yeah, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's rushed CGI or just the final one, man. At this point, dude. I mean, we'll see. It might look better in when I get a better look at it. That happens. It yeah, certainly does. It definitely does. Um, I, Kevin touched on one other thing, um, and he's touched on it a couple times, but you mentioned DC Universe, and obviously, in a very offhanded way, Jim Lee announced that all the DC Universe content will be moving to HBO Max. Yeah. And they'll be reformatting what DC Universe is. I saw is. that. Sounds um, like it's going to be the new Marvel Unlimited. Basically. Um, Which, I mean, I, I, do, I mean, I go to it mainly for the comics and then the, old, the animation and 
old shows and stuff. So yeah, as long as it exists as that, I, I'd be fine with that because you know. There you I mean, go. But, so it's, so it's yeah. core. Go ahead, but. No, no, I was going to say, but it speaks to the larger issue of DC over the past few weeks. And what is that perceived shift to, uh, you know, a threat to them actually putting out as many comics and a threat of them just becoming what most people have feared Disney and Warner Brothers would do for a while and just see the comics as an IP farm in an even more intense way than they already do. Well, that's fine. That's fine. See them as an IP form, a farm, but let them live. Let them continue to be organic. They've, and but that's the problem. Like if they if they see him as something disposable and kind of like just uh you know like an offhand thought, they're not going to be fighting for them to survive. No, but no, but what I'm saying is this: if you are DC Comics and there are no comics anymore, even if it is one you know thirty sixth of your revenue or one one hundredth or one one thousandth of your revenue, it's an important one one thousandth because it's cred, it's cred of fuckability, it's the future, it's sourcing. That's like, I mean, you you can't you can't do that. I don't care that it makes no money. You just can't. I mean, I agree. I'm not, I'm I, you not know, saying I, mean, I fully want the comics. I just, oh, I like, know you're not, but I'm oh, saying yeah, I don't I think they'll do that, that or will they? Yeah. No. I worry I, about the execs. Yeah, I don't think comics will go away. But when you look at the lineup and you see that it's basically like Batman, Superman, it's the marquee characters that have titles. There's like no, you know, uh, characters. There's very few characters of colors or women that are leading books right now. A lot of those series got canceled. And, and I'm not even I'm just saying there is a winnowing where it's like, OK, which which streams do we need to focus on to produce new content? And I think it it runs the risk of being very mercenary. And Jim Lee's interview responses have been very like toe the corporate line and be like, oh, yeah, it's about integ- vertical integration and all. It, it just I again, I'm not saying it'll ever go away fully because a lot of their writers and creators that pump out because, again, the the turnaround on something being created for a comic and showing up in a movie or game or TV show is smaller than it's ever been uh, because there's so much content being put out that it's basically like, you know, you can have the guy who created Godspeed still writing the book as Godspeed has appeared multiple times on the Flash TV show. Right. So it's like, yeah, it's important in that sense. But then you have these characters where it's like, I mean... You can do a static. You could probably do a couple static shock movies based on content that was written thirty years ago. Yeah. Um, it's it's just a, it's just a potential trend um, because at the end of the day, they really like you say cred, but it's like they don't need it. They could really just make the same movie every twenty years probably and be hold fine. On, hold on. They, okay, go ahead. Keep going. Um, so I don't know. It's just that sort of thing where it's like. I, I also think it's part of a bigger movement because at the end of the day, I do feel like like floppy issues are, are something that are, if they, again, aren't ever going to fully go away, the market is shifting. I think the shift to like traditional book format is, you know, it's picking up steam and I think it's inevitable. Um, and it, it feels like they kneecapped themselves a little because uh, uh, until like all the news started coming out, I was praising DC with what they were doing with their young adult graphic novels. Um, oh, excellent. Yeah. Yeah. But... I don't know. It's just worrying, and we'll see what happens. Maybe they've got other stuff, and they and just playing the corporate answers. It was just worrying. It's a potentially troubling trend. And those are the two, like the young adult graphic novels and the DC Black Label, are the imprints I'm really concerned about. I mean, I you know, I mean, I think they because Mark Doyle was one of the ones fired, and like uh, during that you know Bloody Monday, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, I like those were two of the best things. DC was doing comics wise, like I love those YA graphic novels, and 
um, like I read Mara, Raven, um, Oracle Code. There's a bunch, and then um, Black Label doing a lot of interesting stuff. So yeah, it's just a shame that they were starting all these really creative initiatives, and now those are very threatened. And so it is, it's worrisome. But I, I would say my best advice to listeners out there is support your local comic shops and keep buying comics and or yeah. even buy them even buy them digitally like whatever you have to do during yeah. covid but just like buy support like i mean yeah anyway just so yeah. somehow support you know monthly comics because that's absolutely. that's what's really at risk yeah absolutely. so okay got it well that's let's uh let's unless you guys have anything else we can we can put a put a cap on fandom um because we talked so much about that uh, let's keep this uh talk of anything we've been watching super super limited but does everybody want to talk about like one thing they've been digging lately before we move into our main event yeah i can do a quick one yeah oh go ahead Uh, kev i can go um so i'm finally reading invincible um all right yeah so i am five volumes in because i'm reading it digitally because i got the uh, the last humble bundle that image did had Mm -hmm. the first three trades on there so read those then i've read a couple more since then um but i'm really enjoying it it's very much like you know, I mean, it's a really fun superhero book that's a little meta, but um, really more so. A, I like that it's more of a celebration of superheroes than meta or deconstructionist or any of that. Um, so I'm very engaged in the story. And I just read yesterday that um, because Amazon Prime is developing an animated series for it and that's moving forward. They haven't set a release date, but um, like the cast lineup for it is a lot of Walking Dead actors because we're skybound. Uh, and so, like, Stephen Young, the guy who played Glenn on Walking Dead, will be Mark Grayson. Uh, J.K. Simmons will be his father, which I'm, I think that's a perfect choice there. Um, and then a lot of other Walking Dead alums. Wait, for where the, is this coming to? Amazon. Wow. So it's, um, yeah, like, a lot of talented voice actors. And then um, Corey Walker, the co-creator, is doing a lot of the, like, heading up a lot of the animation and design. Uh, Robert Kirkman's very involved. Um, I forget the showrunner's name. But it sounds really promising. It's gonna. I think it'll stick very close to the comic. So, um, so that I'm really enjoying. I could um, go on other things right too. But that, yeah, that's been a fun one. Cool, cool. Uh, Jordan, what you got? Uh, I'll go with this because it's it's literally the last thing I big big thing I would did. Uh, but I watched Bill and Ted face the music. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I loved it. I, I was delighted by it. Um, I have a lot of love for those first two movies, um, and uh, this—I <laughs> don't know. It, it's one of those things. A lot of people have said it, but like in a relatively serious, dark time, it's like it's nice to have a fun, silly escapist movie. Sure. Um, it probably it hues a little close to repeating the hits of the past, which you get a lot of times with these decades later sequels. Yeah. Um, but it it captures the spirit. It, it continues the themes of the series and has a really nice cap if this is the last Bill and Ted thing ever. Um, I, I think it, it has its occasional flaws. It's a little slow to start. Um, if you've seen the trailers, you know Keanu cannot do the voice anymore at all. <laughs> um, but they, they both just like throw themselves back into the roles. It's 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 just a fun time it keeps kind of it i don't know there, there's not a lot of there's not like super depth to it but i i liked its messages of of like the importance of creativity and unity um and uh the the two that play their daughters are uh i want to say bridget lundy Payne and samara weaving the latter of whom i i think is like one of the soon-to-be superstars of hollywood 
Um, I really like them both as the daughters, and I would absolutely watch a movie that just followed the two of them if this is successful. Um, I mean, it's the first, like, high-priced at-home viewing I've done because I watched Bloodshot because through Kevin. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I just, I really liked it. If you like Bill and Ted at all, I think it's worth watching, whether you watch it now or you wait till it comes to, like, Blu-ray or regular price streaming in a few months. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, did you do the whole thing, like you said you were going to do, where you got popcorn and killed the lights and all that shit? We did, yeah. Nice. Did it feel a little bit cinematic? Oh, a little bit. I mean, we did the same with Bloodshot, so uh, it, it helps a little. So on that, I'll tell you what, there is something a little special about it. Like, you know, uh, even without, like, the, the fanfare that you added, although the fanfare is nice, um, there is a little something special about knowing that you paid a little bit more for it and, like, you're in, like, a small group of people that are going the extra mile to, like, watch this and, and, and it does feel a little more theatery. I don't know. When I was watching Bloodshot, I, I didn't, in that case, invest, but just the fact that that I was watching something that most people hadn't seen yet. Um, I don't know. It's something a little special about that. So I, I see that market. I get it. I see you, uh, movie marketers. I see what you're doing. It works. going to be interesting where, where it all heads, you know? Yeah. So anyway, cool. Um, so I, I really would be remiss if I talked about anything except for this game I'm playing called Warframe. Um, so I'm about 45 hours into it. Um, it's essentially... A lot of people call it like the the poor man's destiny. Um, it's it's like a uh, looter shooter uh, essentially. Um, what people have always told me about it is that like it's the grindiest game that has ever been made on the face of the earth, which is a terrible advertisement. That sounds horrible, right? Um, that's the last thing I want is a game where I'm just intentionally going there to grind. And I always was like, what is it about this that people love? So um, I was finally convinced to really give it a try because. I heard all of this hype about something called the second dream, and I think, I think there's something in the air right now because I just did what I'm about to tell you I did, and then today I went on Kotaku, and another. And by the way, this game's been out seven years. I went on Kotaku, and another person just went through the exact progression of the game and just finished the second dream quest, just like I just did. So it's just like there's something in the air right now where people are like, I want to do this. One little possible contributing factor is the new expansion heart of demos just came out but honestly those come out all the time and and there's not much about them so this this warframe is just having another moment right now and what this is is a story of i think you and i jordan back in the day talked about dark sector i think we did um but essentially that was like the the last like big game they made and i enjoyed it it was like a 360 game you run around you have this glaive weapon that you kill aliens with and and you have guns and it was pretty fun i remember it being pretty fun that was that era where there was lots of fun like shooter uh 360 games to play like um or even ps2 era like um um uh, the Mindgate conspiracy i forget what that one was or um, time shift or just those kinds of games that were just these fun first person shooters that did like cool mechanics and weren't open world and were really enjoyable. Dark Sector was one of those. I always enjoyed it. But with Warframe, I'd heard it was really, you know, clunky when it came out in 2013. And I didn't dive into it too much. Well, anyway, now I finally decided to do it and it is addictive as hell. Of course, I bumped into a couple people who've become my good friends on there and we play it together. Um, same thing happened with Destiny, where I ended up with a crew just inadvertently. 
Um, this game does a really cool thing where its matchmaking is not intentional. You just set it to public mode, and when you select a mission, it just pulls in other players to play it with you, and most of them are off mic. So you just play with people, but it can still be a mostly solo experience. Well, um, I have a PlayStation camera set up, um, which just automatically gives you voice control like in any game that supports it and sometimes i don't even know that luckily i don't say weird things like to myself when i play video games but if i did people would be hearing them um but anyway uh this dude just started talking during one of the quests and i just started talking too and he's like oh hey man and we became friends right this dude in, in in washington and then this other dude in in somewhere in the middle of the country hasn't told me exactly but essentially like one of these dudes is, is in his 30s like me another one of them is 17 and we're just all playing warframe together and it's super fun and it's interesting because we all have very different interests in life like the older the other older dude like me is like a smelter um, he does like iron smelting and like the one iron smelt in Washington or something. And then this young dude's obviously still in high school and also like works, um, get registering people to vote and like, and then there's me, right. And I'm, I'm in sales and, 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 you know, manage customers. So it's just really interesting. Like you just brings these diverse people together and then you get to play this game and, and just have a blast and you all speak the same language. Anyway, I went on a real tangent there, but suffice it to say there's this quest called the second dream and you know the other people i'm playing with are more about getting more powerful and unlocking warframes and getting all this cool shit for me it's more about like somebody put this carrot out there and they were like yo have you played the second dream yet oh my god when you get to the second dream it's gonna blow your mind you find out like who you are and where you came from hundreds of hours into the game they wait to reveal this to you it's a master stroke right so i was like oh my god i gotta play it i gotta experience it so i did I'll say it's about 80% of what people promised. And that's a lot. People really promised. It's this amazing, like, most of the game isn't very cinematic. I got there in 50 hours because I was kind of mainlining to get right there, but some people take 150 to get there. But essentially, it's a cinematic quest that unlocks. And then you just, like, go on this quest of discovery to find out, like, you're this Warframe, but, like, are you controlling yourself? Is someone else controlling you? If that is someone, is that a someone or a something? And who would that be and why? The whole backstory gets revealed in this very emotional quest with unbelievable scoring, beautiful cinematography. It's just, it's the weirdest thing because it's just like chalk in the middle of this huge grindy game and then there it is. Um, and it totally undoes, like like it, it fundamentally changes offline at some point. If, if either of you are interested, I'll tell you like what it actually does and why it's so crazy uh, if you don't mind being spoiled. But what it does is so fundamentally crazy and risky and ballsy and cool that it's just it's it's kind of mind-blowing and then there's a, a follow-up quest called the war within which is also supposed to be not as mind-blowing but pretty mind-blowing so i'm waiting to get to that so that's really what soaked up most of my entertainment time lately i've watched a couple things uh, one of which will actually be in the conversation we're about to have uh hint hint but um but yeah so that's my uh that's been my obsession lately man and, and i gotta stop man it's getting bad just like destiny 2 got bad so. I mean, it happens. It I, does. I, I feel I feel that um, with uh, with Final Fantasy, right? Yeah, I've been I've been playing that, uh, and I dead stopped to chase Yokai medals. Right, but, right, right, right. You have uh, it all yet? You got them all yet? Not yet. I've been. It's been. I've been played in a, a couple days. I've been playing um, other things, but just real quick, just name them, list them. Um, biggest thing is tell me why I played the first chapter oh, of that. It's, oh, it's out? Oh, shit. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah I really great? enjoyed that. Okay. Um, and then the other big thing I was playing is Bulletstorm. 
uh, full clip edition. That game's great. That game's uh, so those fun. have been been what I kind of been focusing on. I, I got Game Pass, so I've been playing yeah. just kind of a random smattering of things. Nice. My Xbox. Uh, this is the other big shame of my life. Not sh- wrong word. Other big tragedy of my life right now is that my Xbox One X died. So I had to ship it back to Microsoft, and all this cool shit's coming out. Battletoads just came out. Tell Me Why just came out. The new new uh, Super Lucky's uh, whatever, Super Lucky's Quest? What is it? So, new Super Lucky's Tale. New Super Lucky's Tale just came out. I didn't even know it. I'm so out of the loop because my Xbox went down, which really shows you how big a deal Game Pass is because I still have my PS4. You know, it's like, well, that's fine. You got a great modern console to play. Nope. Not having Game Pass feels like one of my arms is removed. Like, it's it's really... I've gotten that dependent on being able to play all the latest stuff for free. Anyway, I digress. Um, hey, Kev, we, we talked about a little more. Do you want to mention one more thing? I feel uh, I feel bad. No, it's all good. Um, the only thing I'll say uh, is I'm watching the docuseries on Disney Plus about the making of Frozen 2, which is actually <laughs> really fascinating. It's called Into the Unknown, but it's, uh, like, the most fascinating thing about that is, like, I mean, you. I mean, any even if you're not into animation, you know that like it takes years to make the to make those movies. But what's crazy is like this series was shot about like it follows like the last few months before the premiere of Frozen Two, and it like there was still so much work left to be done on the movie um, in the months leading up to it, and major rewrites even just like a few months before, which is crazy to think about because like the amount of time it takes to film just like seconds of a movie like that that's so um you know complex in terms of its visual structure and the computer animation all these things that come into play the fact that there was still like jennifer lee the writer director who's also the head of disney animation uh that she was doing rewrites on the script and then going to the office and working all these things it's really interesting so like i mean um like i I like frozen it's not like my favorite disney movie but um but i love you know any of the behind the scenes stuff and i think Disney Plus has done a really good job both with this one and then the Mandalorian series as well, um, the behind the series mm-hmm. one on that. So I, you know, love this stuff. Um, and yeah, so that one I'm really enjoying. Cool, man. All right. Well, I guess that cues up uh, our big subject, um, which for this episode is going to be talking about uh, non DC and Marvel superhero adaptations, um, and it could be in any any uh, any field, so TV, movies, or I was about to say TV movies or film, TV movie or video games, um, or even something else if you can get really creative with it. Um, so anyway, on that note, how do we want to run this, guys? I know we're going to each talk about our top three, and then maybe a f- couple honorable mentions before number one. Number one, does that sound good? Yeah, that's what I have. All right. Yeah. Uh, who who wants me. to start? Uh, do you want to start, Jordan, on this one? Sure. I I honestly um, I kind of just stuck to movies because I mean that is like the big sector for it i mean there are some tv shows um but honestly when i was thinking about my favorites i was like honestly the tv shows i like get so far away from the comic it's like why would i even count this um because like i just to throw out some of the honorable mentions i would put i zombie is one like Mm -hmm. if i was gonna go tv show that's probably my favorite started really far away from the comic exactly it's like it takes just the whisper of a premise oh i know where else you're about to go um and then Riverdale's Lucifer. another one. Oh, not Lucifer. Uh, oh, Lucifer too. Yeah, I really do like Lucifer. That one didn't immediately occur to me just because that's that's one of those ones that like there there, there were some of the Vertigo books because we included Vertigo where I was like, I mean, technically, I guess 
some characters go both ways in terms like Constantine. I was like, I mean, at the time, like the Keanu movie came out, he wasn't in the DC universe, but now he is. So it's like, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, it's really, these are our lists so we can do whatever we want with them. But, but I think sticking more to the, to the, you know, the spirit of it, it was smart, you know, either way. Yeah. Uh, so for me, my number three, uh, which is, I guess where we're starting yeah. Um, it was honestly, I'll say this before I go with my number three. It was a short list. Uh, I looked at a lot of lists of stuff, and I was like, for, for the most part, it was a lot of like, there's not that much that I actually, I mean, that's not to say there was bad stuff, but as far as like, it's very easy to pick my favorites. Nice. Um, there wasn't too much. I, like, my short list had six things on it. Mine too. Uh, six to ten. Yeah, me too. Uh, but... My uh, number three, and I'm, I'm even still, I'm like going back and forth. Some of these will get honorable mentions. Um, my number three is um, Edge of Tomorrow. Ooh. Is that based on a comic? Yeah. I didn't know that. I need it. It is based. Yeah. All You Need Is Kill, I believe, is the title of the. It's, ba- it's ma- Technically, it's a manga. And I was also looking at manga, although a lot of the adaptations there were. Um, really, in in the American space, there was that and like Alita Battle Angel. Um, yeah, and then a lot of the I just I haven't watched a lot of Japanese manga adaptations, um, just because typically I'd just rather watch the the anime. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, oh no, there was also Death Note. Uh, I just, Death Note was not on my list. <laughs> Wait, was that <laughs> technically that wasn't on a contender there? <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't anime first. That was manga first. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but Edge of Tomorrow is a movie that, it's not particularly, like, mind-blowing, and that, that was the thing. Like, my top two, I think, are legitimately great, but, but, but below that, it was a lot of stuff where I was like, oh, this is good, but, like, the best ever, and, you know? Um, but Edge of Tomorrow was just really fun, the, the central premise of, like, the time loop. I love a time loop story. Um, like, even just this year, Palm Springs was such a fun time. Um, the the Andy Samberg, mm-hmm. Kristen Milioti movie. Um, and when a time loop's done well or done new and interesting, it can just be really fun. And the concept of him being stuck in this forever war where he dies every day and has to like go and retrain with Emily Blunt's character, who um, you find out fairly early in the movie used to also be trapped in a time loop um, of her own, uh, provides it's it's just a fun backdrop like i'm not even the biggest tom cruise fan um but i i think he actually it's one of those movies where he actually lets his ego go a bit he kind of plays a bit more of a loser than you typically see. it's no ethan hunt role um mm-hmm. and he i mean he's still the star he still gets to do cool stuff but it's it's a simpler project emily blunt's fantastic in it um like i i think a lot of her bigger roles would come later with things like starring role in a quiet place or Mary Poppins. But I feel like this is where it, she really got to show her chops in an action role. Um, there she was, I, she was in the running for like a lot of the big MCU, um, heroines. Like, uh, I know black widow, I think Gamora, um, but didn't end up getting those roles, but, but she, she gets kind of her superhero turn here. um, and I haven't seen it since theaters, but it, it stuck with me. I was, like, really pleasantly surprised by how fun of a movie it was. And, um, yeah, Edge of Tomorrow is worth checking out. It did terribly at the box office. It got that whole famous, now we're calling it Live, Die, Repeat, but mm-hmm. not really treatment. 
um, which is probably more known for that than anything. But if you haven't seen uh, Edge of Tomorrow, it's it's a really fun movie. So that's, that's a good one. I did, again, I did not know that was based on a comic. I, thought, I didn't think it was maybe a book or something. But yeah, that's a good one. Cool. Yeah. Why don't you go next, man? Okay. So um, I also stuck with movies because I was there were shows I was thinking of, but I feel like the out of like the indie comics that I'm really excited about becoming shows like. They haven't been made yet. I mean, like there were a lot I, of those I, online. Like I, all, yeah. I discovered so many that are coming in this yes. process. And I feel like if we ever do this again, those will easily come up to my house. I mean, like Why the Last Man, Sandman, Invincible. I just talked about like those are all in development, and I think those are extremely exciting. But like I was trying to think of other like kind of indies that have been made in TV shows, and I really haven't watched a lot. And um, like there was that one like um, one known herb. I don't know if either of you ever watched that. That was fun. I enjoyed like yeah, I think it's I watched, a little. The first season, I, I, I liked that. Um, haven't read the comics, but but I did enjoy that one. Um, but the movies, though, this was fun coming up with. So um, so I got some interesting picks for this one. Uh, my number three one is I, one of my favorite movies, like especially from when I was a kid. I think it was like one of the first VHSs I ever owned because it's such a 90s classic. And it's one of those you don't even realize is based on a comic, but it also has a very comic book feel to it. Um, and that's Men in Black, the first one. Um, so this is one that, like, I mean, I feel like anyone who grew up in the 90s or this was live at the time, I mean, you know, and obviously the franchise has continued, but nothing compares to that first movie. Um, it's just, like, one of the best sci-fi comedies ever made. Perfect blend of action, humor, um, you know, great chemistry between Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones. And it was, yeah, I mean, I, like, um, I actually had, like, a birthday cake one year when I was a kid. There was a Men in Black one, so it had, like, Will Smith and then the big alien. Um, so it's just one of those. But yeah, it's based on a comic that um, technically the it's a small publisher that eventually its parent company got bought out by Marvel. So technically it falls under that imprint, but it's still an, like an independent publisher. Um, and so, you know, never had the comic. But uh, but yeah, always one of my favorite movies. The sequels are very I, I thought the second one's OK. Um, the third one I didn't like, uh, even though. Like, um, Josh Brolin was a pretty good younger Tommy Lee Jones, but other than that, the story didn't interest me. Uh, and then I never, I haven't seen the one that came out last year with, um, with Chris Hemsworth and, um, gosh, I'm trying to like our name. International, motherfucker. Yeah, international, it might be international, um, but, um, gosh, I'm trying, I'm terribly trying to blank on our name, but from Thor Ragnarok and Creed and all that, um, what's your name? Jordan, you know her name? But, um oh uh, uh tessa thompson thank you yes yeah, yeah yeah um i was yeah i just wanted to get that right but um but yeah so i haven't seen that one but the first one though is an all-time classic it's just like and i rewatched it not too long ago and it still holds up really well i think it was i mean the effects were pretty like ahead of their time and it's just a really fun story um i, I was you know it, it was probably one of those it was one of the first like really big high concept sci-fi movies i saw when i was a kid um the idea of just this like underground organization dealing with extraterrestrial affairs and you know the way they did all the world building really captivated me and yeah it's just a fun one i love the humor um you know obviously great iconic performances so one of those classic blockbusters and yeah it is based on an indie comic so men in black the first one um uh, yeah, that movie holds up. Like you said, I, we re- we rewatched the trilogy and then finally saw International earlier ah. um, in quarantine. 
Nice. Um, and yeah, the first one's the best by like sure. a mile. Um, I think the third one holds up better than it should. Okay. Uh, and the fourth I, one I actually, is, is magic. Uh, I didn't mind the fourth one. It's not like ruinous, like which yeah. the reviews seemed to make it out to be. But uh, I mean, it's not. It's not remarkable. The only one I think is an absolute trash fire is the second one. Okay. Yeah. It's been so long since I've seen it, but I like. I don't. I don't know. I remember, I guess, not hating it at the time, but I was a kid then, so... I don't well, know. that's the thing, yeah. I, like, I still have nostalgia for Men in Black, too. Sure. But, like, it is an objectively bad movie. Sure, sure. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, but I saw three in theaters, and I was, like, pleasantly surprised by it. And then um, International was, uh, you know, I think, you know, it, it was fine. Yeah, I'll probably see it eventually. I, I didn't go out on my way to, but, I mean, I love those two leads, so, you know, I, I feel like it'll at least be entertaining. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I do like those leads a lot too. Uh, Tessa Thompson sure. has really been been an actress that just like snuck up on me. Is uh, oh yeah, she's really great. really like her. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Rich, what's your number three? All right. So I got a super current one for everybody. Okay. Um, as you both may know, um, I went through a recent um, come to Jesus moment or whatever you want to call it with Hamilton, um, and finally got to see it with that original cast and experience what everybody's been raving about forever and had like a two-week fever dream, you know, love affair with, with that musical. And out of that, I got tremendous respect for all of the actors and actresses in it, of course. Um, I was already, had just started this series um, and was meaning to get back to it. And then once I saw Hamilton, I was like, all right, I'm going to go back and have like a new, new respect and understanding for this particular actor. So, um... I went further in the series, and as it's continued, it's just fantastic. I, I, and, and the series, of course, I'm sure you've guessed, is Snowpiercer. Yeah. Um, I, so, I have it um, in the original graphic novel. I have a beautiful hardcover of it, and I think it's called, like, Transpersionage or something in French, some, something along those li- the lines. Um, obviously, the first, the original version of it is a very... Um, it's very dark, um, you know, look at, at, you know, the post-apocalypse and how people survive, and it's, it's obviously a, a treatise on, on class and, 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 you know, how, uh, how society sets, sets things up and, and how unfair and, and terrible it, it can be, um, and unjust. And then the movie came out, which was also excellent, from the director who now we call the director of Parasite, but before he was the Snowpiercer and a lot of other movie director, um, and... The series, you know, it's a little bit heavy-handed with its subject matter at the beginning. You know, there's the tale, which is, you know, the the people who jumped on the train without a ticket. They're in fourth class, and they essentially eat, like, like bugs that are dried into bricks. And, like, that's what they have to eat. There's even some implications they went to cannibalism at a certain point. Um, but... What this show does is it takes that original premise of class and the and the and the different classes going up the cars, and it turns it into a sort of a, a murder mystery slash deeper explanation exploration of like a lot of different cars and how people survive in a society like this. So I was just really happy with the way that they expanded out the universe. Um, it does a very interesting thing, which you find out at the very beginning. I, I, I feel like it's not ruining anything to say that Wilford, um, you know, it, there's there's some intrigue around Wilford and if he still exists or not. Um, and then, obviously, Melanie Cavill 
um, is played by Jennifer Connelly, and she's kind of the one running this whole ship. And and it, and she's she's a very good, I guess you could call her a villainess, but at the same time, like her motives are very complicated. Um, and she really thinks, you know, like all, a lot of good villains, she really thinks what she's doing is for the greater good. Um, and she's also really interesting because she's like an MIT graduate, um, you know, uh, incredibly intelligent, smart, and capable, and brave, and cunning. Just a really good kind of character, and, and, and very gray, not black and white. And then you have David Diggs, I, I'm Barry in the lead, because he's fantastic, um, especially once you've watched him for a little while. He's an actor for me, and, and in Hamilton, he immediately jumps off the stage, and it's like, wow, this guy's a star, right? But in this show, at first, it's like, oh, I don't know how to take this guy. Um, as you watch him a little bit, you get totally pulled in, and you just want to hang out with the dude. He's just a great dude, you can tell. Um, and he's, he's, he's this freedom fighter, um, but he's also a grizzled, you'll like this, Jordan, that, that, that one of the things I love about it is he's like this grizzled ex-cop from Chicago streets. <laughs> And he's uh, and he's you know solving murders on 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 Snowpiercer, of course, right? Um, so the first like four episodes or so are kind of a procedural, but they start to reveal like the dirty underbelly of the train, and and then at, and there's all and he's in a love triangle, and there's all this kind of intrigue as it goes, and you know he's got this mission. Uh, I'm actually about one or so episodes from the end, so I don't know exactly how it ends. I have a pretty good idea, but season two has already been almost completely shot. Also, there's a huge, awesome twist when you find out who the Snowpiercer murderer is, which I won't tell you, but it's awesome and surprising and interesting and also a little far-fetched, of course, like these things tend to be. Um, and so I just think that it's intense. It pulls no punches. It's hardcore. It's really entertaining. Um, it's also the kind of show that you got to be in the right mood to watch. Like, there are some shows that anytime you put it on in front of me, uh, I'm down for it. This is one of those shows that, like, I gotta be in the right mood, and if I'm in the right mood, I'm loving it. But if I'm not, I'm kind of not loving it. So anyway, um, in that very long-winded way, I will say that Snowpiercer is my number three, even though it's very recent. Got a little recency bias going there, but, you know, in terms of taking a comic, and then that was even made into a movie, which I liked, and then turning it into a series that I love, um, that's a big win. So, that's my number three. Very, very nice. I need to check it out because I mean, I, yeah, no, I really enjoyed the movie and like I, yeah, that's one. It's an interesting. Now I went to TBS. I just think that's an interesting network for yeah, no, a show like that. So it was gonna. So it actually, you're not wrong though because I think actually what happened was it was on TNT and then TBS was gonna was gonna be the company to release it. I think they're related in some way. Uh, okay, gotcha. And then and then they went back to TNT. Gotcha, gotcha. So, so you're 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 on the trail there, man. Much like uh, nice. the titular detective in Snowpiercer. <laughs> yeah, the TV you know. Show. Oh yeah. yeah. Cool. It's um, it's one I want to check out. I love the movie, obviously. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, but it's great. Uh, yeah. At some point, I'll hopefully check out it's, the it's show. It's excellent. You definitely should, especially once there's a couple seasons, uh, and you can just binge through it. It's a really good binge. Um, it's just a fun. I was watching it like one episode a night. Um, so like I, what I would call like the spaced binge. Um, and it's, it's just, it's just really fun. So cool. Cool. Um, cause that brings it back to me for number two. All right. Um, so like I said, my top two, I don't think they'll be surprising if you know me. I bet you I can um, guess one of them for sure. And I'll let but, you know after if I, if I'm right. I, I mean, I don't think it's, yeah, it's definitely not that hard. Uh, my number two though is a movie that, you know, a lot of people like it has one of my, uh, 
favorite fight scenes, favorite characters. Yeah. It's just got such a great like vibe to it. Um, and I like it, 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 it feels inevitable and they're doing, you know, the sequel was okay. Um, and I don't know how the next one's going to be, but the original Kingsman is just oh. an absolute blast of a time. Um, I was, I was, yeah, I was back and forth on this because I was like, God, Matthew Vaughn's made two really good adaptations of like non-Marvel superhero, uh, or non-Marvel DC books. Um, and I was like, well, I also really liked Kick-Ass back in the day. Yeah. I haven't seen Kick-Ass in a long time and I worry how well that would hold up. Um, which went a long way towards me picking this one because I watched Kingsman recently and it's, it's just always a blast. It's great. Uh, Taron Egerton's great as Eggsy. Um, he makes, he makes him rough, but really likable and you, you root for him and his progress. Um, Colin Firth is great in an action role. Uh, this is where I, I first saw, um, oh my God, I'm blanking. Sophia Boutella as, um, gazelle and she's awesome as this like bizarre character with like knives for legs um mm-hmm. and i know like it, it it's just a purely fun movie it's one of those movies that i stop on well, back when i had cable if it was on like hbo or something i would always stop and watch a little of it because like no part of that movie isn't fun in some way um i uh, obviously, yes, the church scene is like an absolute standout of like action cinema for the past decade. Uh, but I honestly like my favorite my favorite scene in the movie is is Eggsy's fight against Gazelle at the very end because it's so like just like the danger is palpable and it's so fun and well shot. Um, and really, the whole movie is. Um, and uh, I again, like I said, I, the sequel is fine. I feel like it like goes a little too excessive in terms of, like, the mm-hmm. things that they thought people liked about Kingsman. And I don't even think they're wrong that people like them. Um, but Certainly. the villain wasn't as strong. Uh, the the plot was kind of whatever. It sort of, like, shuffles off Roxy, who I really liked in the first movie, by killing her. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's just... It's fine. They don't do that much with the American agents either, and... Um, the betrayals you can see coming a mile away. The sequel's just fine. I'm interested in The King's Man. I hope it's good. Um, I think the throwback vibe, and it looks like they took they did a real wild take on Rasputin, so um, I'll definitely see it. I hope it kind of gets back on track, and I'd still be helpful for a third Kingsman movie, but that first one, I don't know that they'll ever top it. it it's just a blast. Um, so Kingsman is my number two. Nice, man. Nice pick. Which you got, pick. Right. Yeah, no. And I, I'd say, like, Matthew Vaughn's, like, all his movies have, like, a really, a just certain vibe to them. They're so energetic. I, my two favorite of his are Stardust and X-Men First Class. Um, and Stardust is kind of a comic Like, I mean, the original Stardust story was published actually as a Vertigo book, but it's more an illustrated novel. Um, it's not really a comic. Um, but that's a really fun one. So, But, no, the first Kingsman holds up well, yeah. Good one. Yeah, no, I love. I need to see Stardust, but yeah, First Class yeah. is like hands down my favorite X Men movie. Sure, sure, it's a good one. It's Stardust. Very cool. I'm forgetting what that is. Stardust is based on a Neil Gaiman book. It's like a oh um, yeah yeah like yeah. yeah it, it was like um this you know this peasant um is trying to catch a star to give to the girl he loves, but then the star is the one he falls in love with, and 
it's this bit, and then there are these um, noblemen trying to chase after her, and big con like there's witches and magic and all this stuff. So very uh, high fantasy, really, um, really quirky and fun. Nice. But yeah. Um, okay, well that brings me to my number two. Um, this one, yeah, I don't think this will be a surprise at all for um, anyone who knows me. This is similar to what Jordan said about Kingsman. Just like as far as one that just I had so much fun with the first time I saw it in theaters. I love watching it anytime, streaming it or on our Blu-ray or whatever. Um, it's just, I love the animation, the talents behind the screen, all the voice actors, uh, the adventures of Tintin, uh, which oh, I think I've... Oh, man, every time you bring it up, I'm just like, why haven't I seen that yet? Like, I think you would like it. I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, um, I mean, I know you're not nearly as big into animation as, like, me or Jordan, but... I like it's... it, though, yeah. Go oh, ahead. yeah, sure. It, and it's a really fun style. Like, it's um, it merges that kind of, like, realistic very cg because i mean it's a love child of spielberg and peter jackson so it's just there's so much just energy there and um andy circus plays my favorite character in it um you've also got jason isaacs and then jimmy bell and um yeah it was in that kind of like let's see it was after of course lord of the rings and king kong and then with spielberg can't remember what he had just directed but it was in that kind of like um it was just a perfect time for them to collaborate and then it was also, I mean, the script was co-written by Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish. Um, so it just, it's so much talent in one movie. Um, and, I mean, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost are also voice actors in it. Um, it's just fun. It has a very, like, it's one of those that as for, is just, like, so escapist. And, like, it does such a good job with the world building. You really feel, like, t- like when I saw it in theaters, I felt just totally transported to that world. And, you know, it was, I called it, like, our generation's Indiana Jones um, when it came out because it, it has that it's very much along the, that kind of storyline um, but the, you know some people criticize it for it being too heavy on action I disagree I think it's it's a really engaging story and the action really carries it um, so it is a very much a spectacle movie uh, but I love every minute of it it's one of those like, like you know like similar to Jordan whenever it's on I got you know I can watch any part of it um but it yeah it doesn't get old i you know it's i don't know it just has that brings you back to your childhood kind of feel to it um and yeah and i they i mean they the sequel has supposedly been in development for a long time but i hope to see it eventually um because i think they were the plan originally was for peter jackson to direct the sequel and you know he was heavily involved in the first one so i would love to see that i hope it happens um but yes adventures of tintin if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Usually comes on and off Netflix, um, but that's one that is just. It was a tough choice between this and one of my honorable mentions, but into but this is probably one I've seen more times, and I just really enjoy every time I see it. Nice man, nice. Every time I hear about it, I'm just like, man, I really need to see that. It looks like it's yeah. on Amazon Prime at this point. For free. oh, very cool. Thanks. Amazon Prime has been scooping up so much shit, man. It's like everything that was once on Netflix is on there now. At least it's yeah, stuff I yeah. like. Very cool. Cool. Nice. All right. All right. So um, my number two is going to be a nice uh, mixed media choice. Um, obviously, I'll put a I'll put a pin in it, or not. If that's the wrong expression, I'll put it up. I'll, I'll go number one with a bullet on on one particular adaptation. But just in general, there's a lot to say here, um, and that is the probably the first comic adaptation that ever um, sort of started creating my fandom for for basically everything. And that is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original animated series. Nice. Um, Very nice. I, that is foundational for me. 
Um, I don't watch much of that anymore, so I don't, I don't really haven't really watched the Nickelodeon series, um, and and I don't think I've seen like the newest movie. But the original animated series, I was completely obsessed with, and you know, to the point where Burger King used to offer like VHS tapes you could get, like of like small little episodes that maybe weren't available any other way, and you can get them that way. And you know, I used to watch every single episode, and you know, you'd have the the turtle wagon, and you know, I had all the toys. I loved it, and it was just a full experience for me. All my friends had different characters. My favorite was Donatello. Um, you know the one who's good with machines, right? Oh yeah. Um, and I just, I just loved that series. And then an offshoot of that love is when in arcades, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game came out, and it was one of those first games, much like the much lauded X Men game. I think the X Men game actually had six joysticks on it, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, or actually, there were multiple incarnations of it. Some maybe had eight. I don't know. But the one for Ninja Turtles had four because there's four turtles. And you played through. It's probably about a two-hour game. When you play it on Xbox now, it's not as fun. But back then, you'd, you'd get $5 in quarters, go into the arcade and just quarter dump, and just blow through this game. And it was so fun, man. You'd fall down a sewer pipe, which actually that part sucked, and you'd be like, who put the lights out? And then you would, um, you'd fight Shredder, and you'd fight Rocksteady and Bebop, and April O'Neil would pop in. It was just really, overall, a very cool um experience that that i i enjoyed all the way through and really character you know sort of was you know foundational to my childhood i just absolutely love that so anyway um really all there is to say is teenage mutant ninja turtles i i mean can you talk about a bigger media franchise right that that came from comics and has been around and had staying power for as long as it has so for me that's my number two pick no that's a great very thing. nice i would put like guys probably several ninja turtles stuff here as well not honorable mentions and one of the coolest con experiences i've ever had was meeting kevin eastman at our show a couple years ago nicest guy um and uh yeah i for me i grew up on the early 2000s animated series because that's the thing when you say ninja turtle series you have to kind of specify because there are so many um but I, I know you're talking about the original one but um yeah i grew up on that like it was you know like kind of um 2d animation early 2000s and around the same time as like justice league and all that um, mm-hmm. That was a fun one. I and I had all the action figures. So Leonardo was my personal favorite. Um, and then I love the '90s movies, of course. And I actually I rewatched the first one not too long ago, and it still holds up. It's just so, like really '90s fun. I was so into. So I didn't. I, I loved them just because they existed. But yeah. like I was very disappointed by them even as a kid. I feel like because what happened was I was so excited when I found out the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: The Secret of the Ooze. I think that was the. That was a sequel, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but the first one that was on, I had the poster, because I used to have posters like every, like a lot of kids all over my room. I had sure. the poster for the very first movie up on my wall, um, and then I put like little post-it notes counting down the days till it came out. That's how hyped I was for it. And that's, nice. Doesn't that just remind you of how it used to be when you were a kid and you were that excited over this stuff, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, anyway. Good pick. Uh, yeah. I'm also, obviously, I mean, Turtles are been inescapable my entire life. Um, especially, yeah, they have five TV shows, six films, um, with another on the way. Uh, yeah. So, you know. Uh, and then video games and comics. I love, like, my, my favorite I, Turtles thing, if anything, is the current IDW series, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is just a fantastic adaptation. And what it's remarkable how adaptable it is. How many different ways to tell that story that have have come up with um i also really like the 03 series 
which has been like the most serious of the cartoons. Um, yeah, it, it's just it's just a great series on the whole. Um, cool. Yeah. All right. So uh, does that bring us to uh, everybody going through a couple honorable mentions in their number one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, my honorable mentions, I guess I'll go first for that. Uh, I, like I said, I saw me in Riverdale as far as TV shows. Uh, some Kevin, you mentioned Winona Earp, which reminded me of Dark Matter, which oh, is also I'm based bring on that up to you. I was gonna I was TV gonna show say. or a comic book, but uh, it's not like the greatest show ever. But I remember I enjoyed it. Um, uh, Turtles were also kind of on my honorable mentions list. Uh, but as far as other big things, um, I really I considered the Adams Family because <laughs> it is based on like a single panel jokes but i was like eh, it's more like a new yorker type like one-off panels like i could have included it if i wanted to but it was like it wasn't like a comic book comic book um i also had, like i said kick ass uh and then my last big honorable mention was dread the uh the carl urban version oh, right. Um, right right yeah. right, right. Yeah, that one that takes place all in one room much like uh, edge of time man one one building one, one building i mean yeah yeah uh, you love control, and that I know. Like I'm just building with you. So. Yeah, yeah, uh, but no, with I... all kinds of like uh, which, know, warping and and reality shifting and shit. Not not to not to jump completely off topic, but I have been playing the AWE DLC. Oh yeah, is it good? Uh, uh yeah. If anything, if, if you're willing to say anything's good about that game, okay. I never see you uh, hate, yeah, yeah. hate play something longer. All right, cool. Anyway, um, so yeah, those would be my honorable mentions. Do you want me to go ahead and do my number one? Yeah, man. Uh, okay, my number one, um, it's Scott Pilgrim. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna. That's what I thought was gonna be King. Yeah, I thought you were gonna say that with when you said Kingsman. No, yeah, I, I love Scott Pilgrim. It's my favorite Edgar Wright movie. Um, he does a lot of interesting things with the adaptation that, like, arguably are. It's so interesting because it was made so entwined with the end of the book series because the last book I think came out just like a month or two before the movie dropped. So they were making the movie before it was over, but um, Brian Lee O'Malley was heavily involved and on set for a lot of it. Um, 2010 was just a great year for Scott Pilgrim. He had that. He had the game, which is another great adaptation. Yep. Um, but the movie just, I, it's a blast. It, he, he works so hard and arguably there's nit stuff you can nitpick. Like the the fourth through sixth books get or the fourth through fifth fourth and fifth book kind of get compressed to the point of barely being a scene. Um, if, so if you know if those are your favorite X's, it's probably like. But although even in the book series by that point the X's became less important than the narrative um, and Scott's journey to realize his own toxicity and try to grow up, um, and the movie does a really good job of translating that. Um, it, it it does have a tendency to soften Scott a little bit and give him slightly less of a uh, shitty edge, but not too much. And you still it still comes through very much how much he needs to grow as a person. Um, his arc's really good. Obviously, the music is phenomenal. Like I love the songs for Sex Bomb and the other bands in it. Um, it just has such a like underground vibe to it that it feels like Edgar Wright. Brought, I, I get the sense he and Brian Lee O'Malley probably got along really well and had a lot of the same sensibilities. Um, and like, given the way he'd proven he could do big action with Hot Fuzz, he translates very flawlessly to this very video game, high act, high re, higher sense of like hyper reality world. 
Um, the fight scenes are great. The the CGI holds up really well. Um, it has all of these people who would go on to be like super famous in it. Um, so it's just it's a delightful movie. I never get sick of it. Um, I watched it just a couple weeks ago and was like, yeah, Scott Pilgrim rocks. Um, so yeah, Scott Pilgrim rocks. Scott Pilgrim versus the world is my probably favorite non big two comic adaptation. Awesome. Awesome, man. That's, that's, while not as, not super surprising, um, definitely, uh, passionately told, man. Nice. Yeah. No, I just, I mean, it's my favorite, it's like my favorite director making, um, a kick-ass movie, so it's not too hard of a guess. Sure. Absolutely. I didn't know you liked that more than, uh, Shaun of the Dead and Fuzz. I really didn't. Shaun of the Dead is, is foundational, and I love it, and in a way, it kind of transcends, but I, I do think Scott Pilgrim is his best movie. I feel like he got to go the most hog wild. Um, I think Hot Fuzz is really good too. If you're, I mean, I, I think his movies are very much like, what are you the most into? Um, and I'm very into video games and that sort of like coming of age story. Whereas, uh, you know, Baby Driver is his movie about loving music, and The World's End is a movie about being like in your forties. So that's a movie I'm going to go back to in like 15 years and probably get a lot more out of. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, you know, and I'm very excited for his next movie, which is his first horror film. So, um, yeah, no, uh, but Scott Pilgrim, I love that movie. I'll go ahead and say, like, I mean, it was very hard putting Scott Pilgrim in my honorable mentions and out of my top three because I, I was torn between that and Tintin because for all the reasons you said, I mean, I love Scott Pilgrim, too. And I also just watched it, rewatched it a couple weeks ago, showed it to my cousin because it was the 10th anniversary um, just a few weeks ago. And it's another, it's another shame of COVID. He was. They were gonna re-release it in theaters um, on the 10th anniversary, but um, but I of course own it and everything. But yeah, for all the reasons you said, it's still I mean it holds up so well. It's I think my personal favorite Edgar Wright movie. It kind of goes back and forth, but I still lean towards Shaun of the Dead because that was the first one I saw. It's very foundational, and I don't know that for me is still the most entertaining out of all of them. But any one of I could say that also about any one of them really. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited about his next one as well. Um, but yeah, for all the reasons, so Scott Pilgrim is definitely in my honorable mentions, but really hard not to put that in my top three, but there's some good ones. Oh, yeah. Okay. But, um, what other honorable mentions? What's your number one? Absolutely. So other honorable mentions, uh, um, this one, I don't think it's too surprised. I don't know if I've ever talked about you guys, but, um, the crow, the nineties version, um, whoa, I don't know. Deep cuts, man. Deep cuts. No, I don't think we've ever discussed it. Us. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, yeah. I mean, um, trying to think the first time I saw it. Like, I don't know. I feel like I watched it on Netflix one time. And, yeah, it's very 90s. And it's really, like, I never read the comic. But um, I, that's one I really love the aesthetic of. And, and I've always argued I think Alex Perez would make a great Batman movie. Particularly Batman Beyond. I think they should hand the reins over to that. Then for that, um, I think Dark City is his masterpiece. But, um, but The Crow is a seminal movie for him. And obviously there's the, you know, tragedy surrounding it that, you know, Brandon Lee died during production. Um, but uh, so it's always like, you know, there's, you know, things that it's like cursed for that. But um, but I think it still it holds up as a really um, entertaining, very unique aesthetic of a comic book graphic novel adaptation. And yeah, it's very noir. It's, you know, it takes place entirely at night. Um, you know, at times it's excessive and like, I mean, I'm not going to say that the script is the greatest thing by any means, but it's still, I rewatch it from time to time 
and I think it still holds up. So, um, so that I definitely wanted to put on honorable mentions. And then the other one, I know I've never talked about with you guys because I only watched it for the first time a few months ago um, with a coworker, and um, that is Road to Perdition, which also probably many don't know is based on a graphic novel. Um, but and it's kind of one of those like it's a 2010 movie that I feel like sort of fell under the radar, but it was directed by Sam Mendes, who's obviously doing really well now. Um, and it did win similar to his other movies. It looks amazing. Um, it won best cinematography that, that year. Rocks. I love that. Yeah. Movie. It, oh, okay. Yeah. I'm glad. No, I'm glad to finally discuss it. It was one of those, like, I didn't see it when I was a kid when it came out. Um, but yeah, I watched it for the first time a few months ago and I showed it to my dad recently too. Um, really enjoyed it. Well, it's, oh, it's just really interesting seeing Tom Hanks play a mob enforcer and such a horribly <laughs> conflicted character. Um, and you know, he like, does it well though. Oh, he does it great. And it's, uh, I mean, it's a tremendous cast. Um, it's a good father's son story. Um, you know, the setting, the atmosphere, the cinematography are all fantastic. I really like the soundtrack in it too. Um, Thomas Newman did it, who done a lot of movies like Shawshank Redemption and many others. Um, so yeah, it's just like, it's one of those like very, you know, violent and gritty, but at its core, I think it's a really good emotional story between a father and son. Um, and I find it's really cool too. I mean, there's a lot of big names on it, obviously. I mean, Paul Newman, Daniel Craig, Jude Law, but, um, the kid who played the son is, um, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but, uh, he plays Superman now on the CW Arrowverse. So I think it's pretty cool, but that's where you got to start. Um, but yeah, so that is, those are my honorable mentions. Um, and then my number one, uh, I don't think will be a similar turn. I don't think it'll be that much of a surprise. Um, similar of like feelings of like, director i love doing a comic he loves and an actor i love all these elements but the first hellboy um i can't Ooh. tell you how many times i've seen it and like i mean and it was it was actually tough between this and the second one um because i i really enjoy the sequel as well um and it's and you know of course it's a shame that we didn't get the trilogy and the only yes we, we did was, dude uh, yeah we did we got a we got a masterwork yeah. man <laughs> It's, it's 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 beautiful, dude. It's it's just uh, everything you'd want, you know, in the in the spiritual successor to the the uh, Del Toro, right? Oh yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> Jordan, I'm so glad you've seen that now, so I can like vent about it with someone else. But um, <laughs> but uh, it's it, not like, good. Yeah, it's, it's it, not. Yeah, it's wildly faithful without actually doing it right. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, but yeah, and that, well, and that brings up a good point about so. The Del Toro movies are very different from the comics. Like the comics are very horror, and the like the Del Toro movies very fantasy superhero, and has a totally different feel to it. And you know, I mean, it was like a character that feel. I mean, yeah, it's very much inspired by Mike Mignola, but it's very much a Del Toro and a Ron Perlman character um, that they created together. And that's what I, I mean. That's what I like about adaptations. Sometimes is like they don't have to be exactly like the comics. So you can have a deep love for the source material while also doing something wildly different. that's still really good. And I think this is a perfect example of that um, where it's fun. It's fantastical. It's something I, I mean, I always enjoy watching, especially around Halloween time. Um, and, you know, that was my introduction to Ron Perlman. Um, so that'll always be one of, I mean, one of my favorite action movies, superhero movies, fantasy movies. Um, it's, you know, I mean, very simplistic story, but it's just one of those that cat like really illustrates the vision of del toro and how he can create these really outlandish weird characters and you know and do so much fun have so much fun with it so yeah that first hellboy movie 
um, still holds up as my favorite non-DC Marvel comic book movie. Nice. Nice. Nice, yeah. Yeah. All right, well, that, that brings it down to me. So I've got some fun honorable mentions for you guys. Um, the first of which is a book that I heralded back in the day a lot, and that is Stumptown by Mr. Rucka and Matthew Southworth. Um, I, it's a private eye book. Um, go figure, I love it, right? Um, five, <laughs> five uh, I think four, four or five issues per arc. I have the, a couple of the hardcovers over on my shelf. Um, and uh, what's great about it is that it's about you know this private investigator who's just completely, her name is Dex Perios, and she's just completely lost control of her life she has a military background she went through a lot of trauma and uh she's just trying to take care of her um her brother who has who has some challenges that he's working through um and uh she's like a loving sister but at the same time as irresponsible as it gets um i'm blown away that a book like that because it's very much it's very portland keep portland weird vibe it's very like like a little bit dark private eye book and yet it's a, I guess, is it CBS? It's one of those, ABC, maybe NBC, I don't know. No, I think it's CBS, I really do, maybe. Anyway, um, it's one of the big three, and it's and it's a big budget, um, Kobe Smol- Smol- Smolders? Smolders. Smolders, yeah. yeah. Kobe Smolders, and then the dude uh, from New Girl, um, oh, not Schmidt, Jake Johnson. Um, and the two of them are the main stars, and then her brother, um, it is really, really good. It's a it's way better than it has any right to be. When I first saw the trailers for it, like at 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 the you know the fall previews or whatever, I was like, oh man, does that look like tone deaf? Um, it's actually really good. I'm about halfway through the first season. It's great, um, and I look forward to watching more when I have some time. But that's an honorable mention, um, especially because I like the comic so much and love to celebrate it. Mm-hmm. Another one is The Boys. Uh, that's a book I actually read before it was a series, unlike I think a lot of people. Um, and, um, you know, that series was weird because when it came out, it was like the 18th sort of dark superhero series at that point. Um, but it's so good that it still caught um, hold of people's imaginations or whatever you want to call it, or their bad it's- What? And I was just say it helps that it's far less miserable than the actual book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I like the original, but I hear you. Um, and um, and it's yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's a it's a it's a very um, entertaining and different series than than you know a lot of other series. It, it does have its own unique stamp, which I like. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so the, so the boys makes the cut for my honorable mentions. Here's a real weird one for you guys. Wanted. Do you guys remember Wanted? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Wanted, man. I little bullet, bullet curling. You remember that shit? Uh-huh. <laughs> they the Mark fling... Millar book. Yeah. Yes. Not only that, but it's a phenomenal video game. Amazingly, um, and you can actually throw bullets, which is like really, really, really cool. So anyway, so I love that. And then um, the last honorable mention is Powers, which is, I have a love hate relationship with that. Um, it's it's really weird because it was like the only PlayStation series ever, um, and it's a really good show. However, it's one of those I have to be in the right mood for, and if I'm not in the right mood for it, I kind of hate it. Um, so it's like very love hate for me. But it was a good series, ended way before its time. If it was in this current climate and it weren't behind a PlayStation Network paywall, I think it would have done better. But anyway, so those are my honorable mentions. I had a couple more that were kind of interesting, um, but. Um, a real deep cut I'll throw out there for people. It's called Wild Palms. Believe it or not, that started as a comic book. I'll leave it at that. Um, and I'll move on to my number one, 
which is based on a comic series that's one of my favorites of all time. Jordan and I, I know we both love, love, love this book. Um, and I cannot believe that it is not already on a massive hit TV series or movie or something. I just can't believe it. Um, and it's called Fables um, by Mark Willingham. Um, Bill Willingham, excuse me. I cannot believe that Fables is not a TV series with, like, seven seasons by now. It's so yeah. perfect for it. Uh, and a lot of it's, you know, fair use. Like, they could use a lot of the characters that are in there and make that series. I don't know why they haven't. Maybe it's in production. But anyway, the only adaptation we've got so far is an absolute masterpiece, and it's called The Wolf Among Us. It's actually a video game. Um, it's by Telltale. And, and the Telltale developers who made it, there's videos out there. They are the biggest Fables fans ever. They love it. So what they did was they took Fables, they took Bigby Wolf and Snow White, and they put them in a murder mystery. So it's, like, made for me. It's a comic I love. It's a genre I love. And it is so much fun. And there's twists and turns. And it's great to play. Um, I think I can't say that there's any comic adaptation in any genre that I like more than I like The Wolf Among Us. So for that reason, and I'll just leave it like that and drop the mic, The Wolf Among Us, Telltale, video game, Fables adaptation, um, Fables the TV series 2022, can we please make that happen? That would be like, I, yeah, I didn't, I mean, I know the title Wolf Among Us, I did not know that's, that it's based on Fables, so that's really interesting. Oh, hell yeah. And I believe, okay. and, and the other thing is, heartbreakingly, Telltale died, um, right while they were making the sequel, and then now it's I think resurrected. We'll see. Um, so apparently, like there's new people that bought the licenses, and now they're trying to make it. So we'll see how that comes out. Have you heard anything about that, Jordan? Nothing's particular. I still haven't finished The Wolf Among Us. Oh, so. dude, I don't know what you're doing, man. Finishing Borderlands, which I know you love, but finishing the Borderlands one and not Wolf Among Us, I don't know how you do it, man. The Portlands one is amazing. It's like I know. my second favorite um, game of that style. I, I what is the first uh, Life is Strange? Yes. Yeah. Cool. Um, which, Have you played two? Uh, no. You know the thing was because um, I, I burned out on them because there were so many coming out and yeah. in at once then and then I was gonna because Tell Me Why is free on Game Pass. I was I enjoyed the first episode. And I was like, oh, let me. Let me go pick up Life Strange 2. And it is um, the most expensive uh, game like of that 40 style. Bucks. Yeah, it's 40 bucks, And I was like, I, it's not that it's not worth it. I was just like, I, I, was, I, was, I was expecting what it had been. And it probably should yeah. be more because of the work that went into those games. That's but just not, That's not our, our expectation. Yeah. Um, but no, uh, I love Fables. Obviously, you know, they were developing it for TV at one point, And they ended up just making Once Upon a Time instead. <laughs> Yeah. Um, which you know is a great first season or two. Actually, I like I like Once Upon a Time up through, really about the halfway through the fourth season, and then after that, it's a it's a hot mess. Um, and it's arguably a hot mess before that, but in an enjoyable way. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the definitive show where they had they had one season of story, and then they had to keep going. Yeah. Yeah, but it's never, never a good thing. Cool, man. Well, hey, this was super fun. Um, it was. This is a really good. Yeah, one. I'm glad we got to celebrate uh, some uh, some mainstream comics with the Fandom Chat and and Mr. Bozeman, and then obviously talking about um, you know the uh, the adaptations that we really enjoyed, and and uh, yeah, this was this was really great. Cool. Well, on that note, I am Rich Lapore, Jordan Alseka, Kevin Shaver. We'll see you all soon. Take care.